All right, we're back. And uh, started out just by saying uh, I, my apologies. We finally came back and made a big deal about coming back. And we were going to try to be on somewhat of a schedule. Um, thankfully, you filled in doing that solo podcast that was pretty well received. But uh, Quentin, how you doing? Would you, would you, would you... I'm good. What did you, what did you think of it? Oh, I mean, obviously, I agreed with you. It's, I mean, is this not what we've both talked about and said hundreds of times already at this point? I mean, on here, literally on the podcast repeatedly, and then also in private in our communications, it's always the same fucking conversation over and over again with this stuff at this point. Um, the only difference that will happen is that as AEW, as we talked about, as AEW continues to be developing. The, you know their first generation we talked about it they're on their their first generation of homegrown guys barely getting into the upper mid card to main event scene now we start looking at the second and third generations and you look at recent signings like i don't know if he had been signed by the time we recorded last but lee moriarty when i saw that i'm like okay here it is like you guys want to say whatever you want to say about this stuff but lee moriarty is that third fourth generation of aew guys or workers i should say that will now have a chance to come up and make a name for them, you know? So as this develops, then we'll start, people can shut the fuck up about defending WWE and their, you know, history of long-term racism um, when we start to see how quickly AEW runs counter to that. But yeah, I mean, good for Big E, you know, theoretically. At the same time, it's like, whatever. It's ju- it's just a, a, a prop, as they say. And... Uh, and the only real meaning that you can give to a championship like that is is the backstage meaning. The meaning that that shows that the company believes in you to be the top guy and carry the company and that they they trust you, you know, in that position. And that's not the case. They didn't give Biggie the title because they think he's the top guy. Because the company itself, and I'll say specifically Vince McMahon, is fucking racist and probably does not see that Biggie can be a top draw because he doesn't personally relate to him and he doesn't see him he doesn't see himself in Big E as a guy that would draw so you know again i guess congratulations for him in some ways but at the same time it's hollow it's, it's a really hollow gesture to put the title on him in such a bullshit way on top of the fact that they clearly don't actually see him as the top guy yeah uh i'm not gonna come back and lecture everyone everyone on Big E some more but uh yeah, it was it was weird. It's funny how like whenever we talk about like the serious stuff, that for some reason that's all the stuff yeah. that gets circulated around. Right. I don't know why. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, I guess this. I, week- I guess that means oh. I, I, I guess that means our wrestling opinions are bad. Yeah, exactly. We just have to. We. This is why we've <laughs> talked about it many times that we need to just focus on politics. Um, and talk about that primarily. Um, and then maybe that'll maybe that's the key. Um. But yeah, this week, uh, to commemorate the 10-year anniversary of uh, Defend Indie Wrestling and them announcing that they're going to have a uh, big tournament, which is very funny, because isn't Mark Andrews still signed to WWE? Whatever. Um, this week, Quentin, we are offend Indie Wrestling, because uh, we're sick of it, especially European Indie Wrestling. We're talking about the big boys. Um so anyways, we missed a week. You mentioned it, and, and I, I got a couple messages from people, you know, oh, are you okay, what's up, or whatever, because the way you, you worded it said, like, per, like personal issue or something. I think people got concerned. I just, I got in an accident. I got hit by a car riding my bike home from work. Um, that sounds pretty grave, I know, but it wasn't terrible. Uh, pretty common occurrence in L.A. 
Um, pretty common occurrence if you're a cyclist in general. Um, I explain the story to everybody as they've asked over and over again in, in IRL world. Uh, same exact situation happened to me about two, three days before that. The difference being just that it happened at a, a location where the road wasn't as messed up. The asphalt had a gigantic hump in it in the area that I got hit. Um, not fast. The car was was merging over to turn right. So they were coming up to a, a, a red light anyways, and they were slowing down. Um, but I hit the big hump in the asphalt, fell, smacked uh, basically my ribs into the curb. And uh, yeah, you know, luckily I was wearing a helmet. Glasses got messed up. Headphones got messed up. Uh, broke a couple spokes on my rim, but nothing too bad on my bike. And uh, just was not up to talking. I, I could barely... Um, do anything for a little bit there, and by the I mean, time I mean, we... yeah, like, did, I mean, like, yeah, like, don't downplay it. Like, you, like, pretty sure you broke, like, you bruised a rib. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I ended up. My wife made a big deal about going to the, going to get checked out. So I went to the urgent care one day, and the guy checked it out. He's like, yeah, you know, you're breathing okay. It had been a week at that point. You're healing up. Everything's fine. But you could have a broken rib, but there's no point in checking because we're not going to do anything. And I said, okay, cool. But yeah, I mean. The thing was, like, the, part of the good reason about even going to the, the urgent care like I did was, uh, so, you know, I was so banged up that basically I was in bed for about, you know, the whole weekend. Um, so, like, you know, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, I took off work Monday and Tuesday, which, if you know me, it's pretty crazy because I almost never take off work. This is actually the first time I've called out since I've been at my new position that I've been out for about five years. Um. So took those days off and I was basically just laying around so much and I, I got this like medicated pain rub or whatever and I was so out of it and not doing anything that I didn't realize that whatever it was I was allergic to so I got this really crazy rash. Um, the doctor called it like a dermatitis I guess, better way to say it. Um, so I got some steroid cream and that cleared up pretty quick but you know that was probably the only real important thing about going to the urgent care that was good is I got that steroid cream to a to treat that but i was so out of it i didn't even notice that i was getting a rash uh because i was just basically sleeping and laying around putting this that pain pain rub stuff on um but yeah doing okay like i said doing fine now um getting back into the wrestling uh otherwise yeah i don't uh, that that's it just to let everybody know that was why we uh missed a week um but uh, i thought about it and we didn't mention it when we came back but you know what's pretty funny with all the issues that we had with, you know, missing all the time when your computer and everything that messed up with that, we were going to review a WWE show, which would have been the first time that I had ever reviewed like a WWE pay-per-view or wrestling show at all on any kind of podcast. Oh yeah, we were going to, um, we were going to do, do Money, Money in the, in the, in the Bank, bank right? which is what Biggie yeah. won, <laughs> won the Money in the Bank on that show. And then all that stuff happened, so we never did. So it's just kind of funny. So that's why I say now we're we're all about the big leagues now. So we're going to talk about AEW. This is a your number one AEW podcast. No, I mean we are going to talk about it, but but yeah, I just thought about we, that. We 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 bandwagon on good promotion. <laughs> yes, exactly. We are. Uh, I don't know. There's Vincels. They don't have a word for AEW stands yet, do they? Um, someone come up with that. But anyways, Quentin. Uh, I don't know. You got anything else you want to talk about here? You got a news notes, opinions, things. I mean, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know any news notes you have. Like, in the, in like in time, like you've you, you've seen my sheet. I've watched a lot of fucking wrestling. So you have. So, you like, have. <laughs> you watched um, a ton of wrestling, which is, I I really haven't. Again, still been kind of out of it. Um, I haven't been watching much of anything. 
Um, but the, I mean, there was a ton of stuff. Oh, you know what we haven't talked about? Uh, Josh Alexander versus Freddie Ahai. I think I'm. I think I mentioned it. You mentioned it didn't the you? last time good. you were here, but you but you but you hadn't seen it. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good one. Uh, definitely dug that one. Nice and long. Nice long match. Um, no, I don't have any news or notes or anything, so we can get into whatever you want to talk about first. Feel free. Well, like there, there's there's some, there's some stuff, right? Like this is gonna be a short little thing, but uh, Kyushu Pro, one of the smaller Japanese promotions. Um, they had a U a U a U style or UWF style uh show that's free on you that's free on YouTube. If you ask me or Timothy or our ghost producer Corwo, mm-hmm. uh, we'll be happy we'll be happy to send you uh the link for it. But it was a short show, four matches, and I loved it, and I made sure that you watched it. Yeah. Um, just so like make sure like some more people are aware of this thing. Again, like maybe like it's four matches, maybe like an hour or so of wrestling, maybe less. Um, it breezes by. Uh, some some familiar names are on here that it said that people people might know, like uh, Yukio Sakaguchi and uh, Masada Takeda are on here. Then there's yeah. some other people that might not. There's some some other guys on here that people might not be as familiar with, but like once you see them, I guarantee you're gonna become instant fans like that. Manabuhara versus Tatsuya um, Izuchi matches yeah. on here that I think is my favorite match on the show. If you're not familiar with those guys, you'll come away wanting to see even more of them. And then in the main event, you have a you have Hitamaru Sasuke, um, no, Hitamaru Sas- um, Sasaki versus Daisuke Nakamura. Uh, the longest match on the show. Uh, fair, fair, fair warning on that one. But again, still really great, and I gave it the same rating that I gave the Izuchi versus Hara match, which is four stars. And if you're someone that likes that UWF, UWFI style, and it's a short show, it's you know, maybe like an hour of ring time in total, probably less, then you should check this out. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, it's it's real quick. If you kind of skip a lot of the extra stuff, you can get in and out watching this thing in like 45 minutes, basically. Um, and, yeah, I mean... Uh, Daisuke Nakamura, he's a uh, an MMA guy, but he was trained by the Rings uh, crew, um, like Tamara um, and uh, some other. I can't think there's some other some other Rings uh, wrestlers that he was involved, but he was a student of that. And then rather than getting into pro wrestling or shoot style, because it was kind of the end of uh, end of that era, um, he focused on doing legit shoot fighting and, and did MMA. Um, he kind, he kind, he. I could, I, he kind of reminded me a little bit of like Yoshihiso uh, Yamamoto. Yeah, for sure. I could definitely see that. But uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so so definitely someone, maybe may, people might know his name. He definitely looked familiar to me. And I was trying to figure out where yeah. I knew him from. And it was, oh, okay. He was a pride. He, he fought in pride and a few other MMA places. So it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, he was a, he's a fighter. So you, people may know him. Um, he started to have more pro matches recently. Um, I guess I haven't seen a ton of it, but really good, really, really awesome stuff. And, and again, like it's, it's funny to think like he was, a uh, trained by rings, probably trained with the idea that he would wrestle shoot style pro wrestling, goes into MMA, basically works an entire career as an MMA fighter. Um, and then now goes back into doing like shoot style wrestling. Um, but it used to be a lot more fluid that way, especially in Japan, like the, the, that when it, when shoot fighting was first becoming a thing, there was a lot more crossover than people don't even realize you know, between that going back and forth uh, between wrestling and pro wrestling, I should say, or, or shoot style pro wrestling and all that, and uh, and shoot actual shoot fights. But yeah, um, 
Tetsuya, uh, was it Iz- Izuchi? Uh, yeah. Fantastic. I really, really, really enjoyed the, his match with uh, Manabu Hara. The, like you said, the match was great. Probably the best match on the show. Um, Takeda, I don't know. I was a little dis- disappointed in Takeda's match just because I've really liked Takeda in these kind of settings before. I'm not familiar. It was, it, it was, it, it was like the the break. Like, yeah. But but it, it was it was fun for what it was. I would love to, again if like if they run another show like this, I would love to come back and see like Takeda versus Takeda versus Izuji. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, like uh, I don't I don't know Shuri Joe. Not familiar with him, but he, I don't know what the connection there. He just he came to came across to me like he was doing like some Hayabusa kind of cosplay stuff. Um, I don't know if there's a connection there or if he's just a fan. Um, but the mask and, and kind of. How- how, uh, how about how good uh, Yosaka Gucci versus Kodai and Nozaki was? Yeah, now that fucking rocked. That opened up the show great. Awesome clash of styles. You got the small kind of assassin sniper versus the big super heavyweight. Um, just a few big, just like nasty looking throws that really fit into the, the shoot style setting from uh, from Nozawa or Nozaki. Um, yeah, that was... This match kicked ass. And Sakaguchi, man... Uh, I've always been a fan of Sakaguchi, but this past year, he's had a real, real resurgence. You know, um, it's interesting. He's like, he's someone I could see still wrestling for a while and still being good at it. Because, like, he's still older. Like, he's someone that's yeah. in his 40s already, I'm pretty sure. And, like, he's someone that is, like, if we, like, always, like, try to, like, frame things like a GWE capacity. Like, if you're someone that's, like, really, really into DDT and you've seen a lot of that stuff, and you're like, yeah... Yuko Sakaguchi is like in my bottom ten of my GWE. Like, oh, I mean, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean the longevity case and the quality case is definitely there. And also being a guy who's who's able to stand out. I mean, like you said in DDT, he's never really like changed too much about his gimmick and his style, but doesn't have to really conform to the house DDT style to to get over and like and be like one of the top wrestlers there. Um, and they always, you know, they always keep him and they always keep him in pr- relatively strong. And even recently, like the eruption stuff is like another nice little like feather in his cap. Um, just because of, as a unit, they've been so, so much fun to see. So yeah. Um, yeah, definitely a guy who it wouldn't be insane to see people have him on his list. I think bottom 10 is kind of maybe, maybe high, but I could definitely see it if you're like just a hardcore DC. No, no, like, bottom, like bottom to like that, ni- that, that, that 90 to 100. And then like, Oh, bottom 10 so, of the like, hundred. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Bottom gotcha. 10 of the hundred. Gotcha. Like, yes. Like that, like that 90 to 10, maybe more specifically like 95 to 100 kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I thought you were, I, for some reason I was thinking like, no, no, I don't 10. think I'm anyone like, no should, should rationally be saying that Yukio Sakaguchi no. is one of the top 10 wrestlers to ever live. No, no, I don't think so. But uh, speaking of, you know, greatest wrestlers that have ever lived, now that Daniel Bryan's back, I would not mind a Yukio Sakaguchi versus Daniel Bryan match. That would be oh, shit, that very, would be. Oh, shit, very, that very fun, especially right now. Sakaguchi, Sakaguchi is high up on the list of, of DDT matches I'd love to see Bryan have. Yeah, for sure. No, no, he's... Like, a- like, like after, I, after I get past Hiroshima and... Um, uh, God, who, 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 uh, Higuchi. After I get past Hiroshima yeah. and Higuchi, like, that's like, that's like the for sure ones... I'm not sure which one I'd rather see between like Akito and Sakaguchi. Yeah, facing Brian. Yeah, that's a that's definitely 
a bit of a toss up. I'd like to see either of those two. And then obviously you want to round out a list like that. You'd have like a, a soup in the conversation there just because of him being like the one of the top guy right now. But yeah, not necessarily like a dream. Yeah, but th- th- this, this is this is a big this is a big boy conversation. Yeah, soup, soup can soup can go. He he can go fuck around with Kenny Omega or something. This is a, this is a big boy conversation. Yes, right. <laughs> this is the yeah. When you're just you're just talking about Matt, you know what I mean? You're just like oh, well, big matches in DDT. Sure. He'd be in the conversation, but when you're talking about like dream uh, that I want to see for the style, yeah, I, I mean, goddamn, I'm so excited about Brian being back, honestly. But yeah, uh, but yeah, especially because there has been a resurgence of shoot style wrestling, and we haven't seen Brian really do that since like Ambition, like, and he fucking owned, like, he was so good at the shoot style. I would love to see him get in there and get to do some more somewhere, but uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens with the, you know. Blood sports going on, right? I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. It's not as if Brian oh, doesn't man. know Josh Barnett, you know. <laughs> yeah, but at the same, who do you, who would you want to see Brian? Fit? If they give me Anyone. Brian versus Minoru Suzuki, if they give me Brian versus yes. me versus Minoru Suzuki, like, all right, cool, all right, I'm, I'm in. I mean, I can't think of a single person that I don't want to see Brian wrestle in a shoot shoot style setting, unless it's just someone true, who true. shouldn't do shoot style, you know. True, like yeah, like it could be like Dominic Greeny. Like, oh but like I don't want to see like, but, but like I don't want, I, I don't know like I don't like Simon good, Grimm, like, I don't no really thanks to, sure I, I get you uh, I, I still I still don't want to see like Daniel Bryan versus like Chris Dickinson like I don't right. still don't want to see that necessarily like Jeff Cobb it, like Jeff oh Cobb and Bryan in terms of like just New Japan matches like as long as it's heel Jeff Cobb versus kind of like, like face totally face leaning tweener Daniel Bryan like. I'll I'll I I want that one oh, yeah. like any New Japan match of his that's like not him versus Zack or Shingo. Yeah, <laughs> like Brian Shingo. I think honestly Brian versus Shingo would be my number one, just because they have history and their their last match was so fucking awesome. That like, I would I want to see a rematch right now with how yeah, good they both are. It's been a long time. It's been so long. Um. But yeah, Zach. Uh, I mean, that's true too for Zach though. So that's a good point. Uh, that's kind of a toss-up. That is, I was gonna, I was like feeling it in my heart for a second there, like a one hundred percent. I want to see Shingo the most, but that's only because Zach hasn't been able to have that kind of output lately. But as you said, like his matches in the G one, even the match with Naito that Naito got injured in, which is like kind of all I've seen so far from his G one. That match kicked ass, and Zach was really good in it. So. It is kind of, uh, kind of tempting still. Um, um, before we before we get into uh, the Grand Slam Dynamite, uh, when watching some PWA Black Label to see oh, Aussie yes, Open, yes. see my boys, Aussie Open, still great. If they were in America <laughs> this whole time, yeah, then like like a, like a like a Daniel Garcia would still be getting his due. Or Lee Moriarty would still be getting his due. But, like, Mark Davis would be getting viewed as, like, the best wrestler in the world if he was in America. <laughs> well, yeah, especially like, because I think Mark Davis is would be more universally loved, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, like, Kyle still does. Like, Kyle still has his has his moments where his brain isn't the best. Like, his, he has a match <laughs> with Kyle with a couple of Connor Mills on the Road to High Stakes show. And... You know how high I'm, you know how high I am on Connor, on Connor Mills. Right. I think that he's like super talented too. And I watched that match. I'm like, all right, guys. Like, I know that you're both kind of you're both young, but you like cut it out. We, we you're both way too talented to be doing certain shit. Like, 
Connor Mills doing four rebound lariats, like or rebound lariat like bounce off the rope kind of spots in the same match. You're way too talented, way too versatile to be doing this. <laughs> so like you'll still get that from Kyle from time to time, but Mark Davis, especially like now since they've came back and the aggression, it really, it really like before the pandemic when Mark Davis was getting more comfortable into the heel character. Mark Davis again in this landscape, if he showed up in was working the U.S. promotions right now, he'd be getting called the best wrestler in the world. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, to be fair, that's a pretty low bar. <laughs> I hate to yeah, say yeah, it. Well, yes, totally. Because, <laughs> because, you know, like the Lee Moriarty thing that we talked about a couple years ago, you know, like when, when Lee Moriarty was getting the, like, best wrestler in the world hype in, like, 2019 going into 2020 stuff where it was like, People who are saying this, you're like, how many of his matches have you actually seen? You know what I mean? You're like, you've seen him wrestle twice and maybe watched like some gifts or something. Like, what? Where are you? Where is this coming from? Um, so yeah, I mean, if Mark Davis was in America, he would get the the same treatment pretty easily. But th- but that said, like, it would not be undeserved. I mean, like he's and that's why I said he'd be actually a little bit more appealing across the board because I do think there is still this weird like. People... There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing like him anymore. Like yeah. again, like the, the closest comp would be a Walter, and like we haven't had that in three years. There's nothing like him anymore. Right. And yeah, I mean, we used to compare him. Kind of people compare him a little bit to Joe, right? Obviously, um, Chris. He can compare to everybody. Like he got like he has a mix of everybody. Like there's like your Walter, a Chris Hero, Joe, Claudio. Like yeah. Like he like he feels like everybody. And he's more like a a I hit like a pro wrestler wrestler like. That's why I say mm. Lee Moriarty was getting all that buzz, but it was like, I hate to say this, but there's people who I feel like they kind of force themselves to appreciate, like, technical wrestlers or, or grappler types. And, like, at the same time, there's also people who just, like, say that stuff's boring and I don't care about it at all and just dismiss it out hand. But I think someone like Mark Davis, I think more people would just naturally like him without, like, kind of making themselves, you know... Fuck, there's still people who, like, to this day pretend like Thatcher isn't good and boring and no personality and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like... Or, 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 or the Thatcher, like, no, see, he, like, my problem with Thatcher was that he wasn't over and evolved, and it's like, do we really have to have this conversation yeah, again? Right. Like, you know? <laughs> no, exactly. But my point is just kind of like, I think that Davis fits more of the stereotype of, like, what people like. I think that, yeah, he would be, like, if he, if Ozzy Open had been in America, that would be, the, you know, it wouldn't be such a slam dunk case for the past, like, two years that Violence is Forever is the, you know, best tag team in America. Probably oh, the best of, tag of team course. In like, love, 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 <laughs> love Dom, love Kevin Koo. Yes, like, of course. Just, 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 wa- just watching Aussie Open, and especially now, like, they, uh, like we've been championing them for four years now, and then watching, and then watching them, uh, and working as more bullies, because now Kyle has filled his body out, and Kyle... And Mark are like pretty much the same size at this point. Yeah, I know. So it's like, so so it's like they just work. Oh my god! Like, I don't, if you haven't seen that Velocities match, like you really got to see. No, that. I saw. Like I said, I, I watched the Young Guns match, and they were already kind of starting to hit it before they, uh, before they you know took the time off. Um, but yeah, I, I have not seen the the big Velocities match that just happened for the PWA tag titles yet. And I meant to try to get around to it before this, but. Oh yeah, I got a flat tire. <laughs> I forgot about that. That was part oh, of the yeah. issue too. I got a, yesterday was I was gonna have some hopefully have some time after work to watch some more stuff, and I had to deal with a flat tire instead. Um, but either way, yeah, I haven't gotten around to that yet. But yeah, I mean, 
you know, I would compare like uh, like Violence is Forever and say that they were like you know kind of like indie indie road warriors or Legion of Doom or something, and and uh, Ozzy Open kind of got that vibe going too, like as as they as Fletcher filled out, like you said, because they're both tall. It was like so they feel like some fucking like Steiner. They got yeah. some Steiner shit, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's probably a better comparison for them because they do these fucking nutty spots as well, and they just come across super crazy. They don't have the like the jockishness. Of the signers, but they're definitely the matches. I can definitely see that because they're a lot more high octane, big bullies that just want to like fuck people up, and they're really good at that. Um, yeah, but yeah, no. Uh, well, I I haven't seen that PWA tag match that you're talking about, but I mean, you know, you feel free to talk about it if you want. If there's anything else you want to say, yeah, like, uh, it's, it's um, people might get intimidated by the match length. It's- I'm pretty sure it's the longest match that Aussie Open's ever been in. It goes like 37 minutes or whatever. So like, the match length will be will be intimidating, especially for like how people know Aussie Open to work. Right. But I'm telling you, that first segment, that first like 15, 20 minutes, is some of the best control work I've seen in a long time. <laughs> Aussie Open's control segment is the most bonkers shit. <laughs> Like yeah. that, I, that I saw in a long time. Now, I'm like, I'm not. Someone's gonna have it as my match of the year or anything. Like, I think like Meltzer went like four and three fourths on it or whatever, and like other people have been that high on it. And like, I understand it. I'm not. I'm not quite that high. Um, it does go. It does, it does go a bit. It does go a bit long and stuff like that. But man, even if you're not sold on like the style and like the big fireworks and trading moves and wacky spots and shit like that. At least I think every anyone that watches that match will be like, oh my god, Aussie Open's control segment on the velocities is pure madness. Yeah. And I mean part of it that's tough with something like that is that I think it's almost impossible to to parachute in on a match like that and just watch it without kind of thoroughly entrenching yourself or understanding kind of the the context because i could definitely see if you just pop in and just try to watch that match because people tell you it's good i could definitely think that like oh that length would be a turnoff because you're like oh that's overindulgent and it's not necessary but in that context it kind of is because these are like basically four of the biggest stars in all of australia you know? Yeah, but the velocities like you, you like the, like you might not know the velocities, but the velocities are a big deal in Australia. Yeah, and Aussie Open is the best tag team in the world. Right, so it's like it's really tough to be like, oh, like, you know, in Australia, it's like if the touring champion, it's like you know Ric Flair coming and wrestling like the top guy from your region. And the other part of that too is that Aussie Open, like while they made their name outside of Australia because they weren't even a tag team in Australia, like them coming back, they're coming home. And then, but they're big stars from outside of the region wrestling the biggest thing in Australia because the velocities are like the top thing. I mean, they wrestled in PWG like right before everything happened, but it was like still that still was kind of a big deal, you know. I mean, it still kind of is to some people. Maybe like to me and you, it wasn't as hype as it used to be, but it's like yeah, they're they're considered like a big fucking deal, and they're wrestling basically like world traveling stars who are coming back home so the match needed to go long and probably needed to tell an epic story because that's what people wanted so yeah i think it's tough to like really judge a match like that out of context if you just pop in um and just watch it and be like oh they didn't need to go that long like well they kind of did because i think the crowd would not be happy if the match didn't go long um 
one more thing before we uh, can move can move on. Uh, did some did some Dragon Gate stuff. Uh, just kept, been kept, been catching up there. Dragon Gate still my favorite promotion to watch and just throw a show on from. Kota Minoru has had a really good year. I caught him versus Masaki Mochizuki from the July 9th show and thought that was the second best Kota Minoru match I've seen this year. Which is funny because I thought it was better than his Dream Gate challenge against Yamato from Dangerous Gate. Which I was hoping I would like more. You know, I'm a big Yamato guy. And I've been really, bit really into Kota Minora, so I was expecting some, expecting him to like it a little bit more. Didn't go ahead that level for me, but I still really liked it. Um, surprisingly, my favorite match on the show uh, was Diamante versus Shun Skywalker. And if there is something that you watch from this show, uh, Tim, I would think that I, I would say I, I would say it should be that match. Yeah, that sounds like something I would uh, definitely enjoy. So I will take my time to check that out because. What I've seen of Diamante, I've really enjoyed, and obviously I've been a fan of Shun for a bit. Ever since he, basically ever since he became Shun, I was a fan of his. Um, that's it there in terms of stuff that I've caught, in terms of stuff that I've caught, and you mentioned how you haven't really seen anything, uh, yeah, I'm trying dealing, to think. dealing with, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to mention that I've seen recently, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head, um... So, yeah, I mean, other than what we planned on talking about. Um, so, yeah, we had, uh, I don't know, you want to talk about uh, AEW Grand Slam? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, well, the <laughs> greatest wrestler of all time is back, um, and they opened up the fucking show with him. Actually, I was going to say, let's get into it, but do you want to talk about the hype and everything going into this? And just the build yeah. and all of that. Um, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, well, okay. What do you think? What did you think? Did you see the last, like, kind of the promo that set up the match? The setup going into this? Yeah. How did you think they did? So, like, full, transpar- like, with full transparency, we have friends that don't like Kenny Omega. So, as, like, this is getting built up, like, I see, like, a lot of concern from people that, like, we, that we respect and we're friends with and talking about, like... What's this gonna look like? Is this gonna be more Kenny's bullshit? And I'll get into this kind of like whole like Kenny's bullshit idea. Like once we get to um the match itself, but I was saying like this is like Brian Danielson's return. You don't you don't think Kenny Omega knows that? It's a big deal. Kenny Omega is gonna show up. Trust me. Like I have, like I have no reason to sit there and think that Kenny Omega isn't gonna show up to wrestle Brian fucking Danielson. And I always had the utmost confidence in it. I think that anyone that realized once it was a non-title match and realized like, oh, that means the time limit is thirty. That means the time limit is thirty. Most people thought it was going with thirty. Um, and even with that being said, you were still anticipating and excited for okay, what's this match gonna look like? And you know, I'm I'm sitting there watching wrestling for most of the day, catching up on stuff. I'm just sitting there, just super excited to watch this match. I even go back and watch the PWG match from 2009, and I'm so, so, so excited to watch this. This is, feels like a big deal. I feel like how big of a deal this is almost gets lost because we're talking about Brian Danielson so much, but this is Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega, the guy that just a few years ago turned wrestling on its head, and now these two guys who are kind of like defining of like different points of like wrestling's, uh, of wrestling's like last like fifteen years, 
are clashing and they go out there and have the best match of the year. It it was it was surreal it was surreal to watch. I think the the build up it felt it, it, it almost got to you as if it was like like WrestleMania. It almost got to you as if like you were watching a pay-per-view like oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson is about to happen and it delivered exactly in the way that you would think that those two would and we can get into the match a little bit in a second but what was your thoughts going in to uh into the show so the buzz like you said the buzz building up into this was like palpable it seemed like everyone was talking about it obviously um and it's not just because of ryan danielson coming back although that's the biggest deal but it was i mean specifically that they they were kind of doing the thing it's it's very interesting because AEW has done a fantastic job i think not giving into necessarily like the pressures of what's like kind of like the well, of course, this is what they just have to do kind of stuff. Because I heard and I would see people repeatedly say, like, especially like, you know, Meltzer. Like, oh, if if Danielson shows up, he's they got to just do the Kenny Omega match. It's got to just be the first thing they do. And I don't necessarily agree with that. And, like, Punk kind of said the same stuff about Punk. And Punk shows up and that's not what they do. The first thing Punk does is wrestle Darby. And it's like, and he's doing mostly talking. And he's not even wrestling that often. Like, and I kind of was like, I like that they that they kind of go with this. That they don't necessarily like just force this kind of stuff um but with you know danielson and kenny so i'm kind of like okay you know they're doing this and they're doing the kenny match and it's a big fucking deal and they really peaked it and popped it and like built it super well to where it made sense and like it got the buzz going i i kind of you know i had heard people saying like, oh they're gonna do the time limit draw and, and oh it's a non-title match you know i was like okay well you know i wasn't 100 percent sure but it, it did make sense when they opened up the show it's kind of like okay yeah that's what they're gonna do um so yeah like the biggest takeaway from all that right like the, the buzz was just it was palpable like they everyone was on fire everyone was talking about it everyone was excited i mean i watched it live i don't watch AEW live i don't watch much wrestling live in fact i've been meaning to kind of talk about this with us kind of reviewing and focusing on AEW more and more i've like i've really come to terms with the fact that as much as i i want to do that like i want to like be like review and talk about AEW more i i can't i like i legitimately can't do it tv wrestling is just not for me like i i don't know i can't remember that well about like when i was a kid and i watched tv wrestling on tv if i like was more okay with it but the the segments with like that just feel like repetitive talking AEW does a good job it's not bad but like commercials breaking up match flows there's a match on this show that i'll mention that once you get to a point once you get to a point where you watch like more wrestling having like tv formatted wrestling it's fine once in a while but then like once you watch more wrestling and you just get like okay match one and here's match two and an, um, an angle might happen but here we're Went straight to the next match. Once you've experienced that, it's kind of hard to go back to match, promo, backstage segment, right? Short match, more talking, and it's, it's, it's like it's hard to get back into it. Yeah, like I don't mind watching the AEW shows on YouTube. Like I like the dark and elevation and stuff, but it's like I put on Rampage the other day, and I was like, oh, you know, kind of doing my normal thing, which is like I'll skip to mostly just the matches I want to see, and I like got Rampage, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch like one match, and the match ends up being like ten minutes. So I'm like, okay, this is an hour-long show, and I basically only care about 10 minutes of it. You know, and it's just like, oh, well, whatever. Um, so, you know, I want to be excited about TV wrestling, but it's just not for me. But, you know, I did watch the promo setting up the match, and 
this is one thing I, I was trying to explain it when there was a conversation going on about what's like kind of what's the issue with Kenny and why his character and his talking and his promos don't work. And it, it kind of played into something that came across my mind as I was watching the, the, the setup of the match, which was that Brian came out and he's just, he's like this aw shucks, lovable, you know, kind of nerdy, awkwardy, baby face, good guy. And the only thing that, like, crossed my mind as I was watching the start of the promo was, like, I wonder where they're going with this. Like, I wonder what the plan is for Brian's character. Because I couldn't... My natural instinct was, like, they won't let him just be this guy that's, like, himself. Because I'm thinking of, like, the WWE thing, that they would never let a character like that just be on tv so i'm like okay this this has got to be like a swerve and then he's gonna go heal eventually here and i like stopped and thought about it i was like no like he can just be himself he can just be brian (laughs) danielson and it's like a little bit it's unique it's not like a lot of other wrestling characters but it's him and it's likable and people are into it and he's over so it doesn't matter. But, but, but again, it, 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 but it also doesn't matter when once the bell rings. Like, right. Once the bell rings, Daniel Bryan, like Brian Danielson can do whatever the fuck he wants. If he wants to work babyface, if he wants to work, if he wants to be in control and work more heel that night, he can do whatever the fuck he wants and it's going to be a great match. Yeah. So it's like, okay, it, they don't have to change anything. They don't have to force him to be more like a standard issue, you know. American television professional wrestling character to say it like, you know, you don't use the brand names, right? To say like adhesive medical strips, uh, an American television uh, professional wrestler, rather than saying like a WWE character. Um, he doesn't have to be a WWE superstar. He doesn't have to play that kind of gimmick. He could just be him fucking self. But my brain is like, they're not going to let this be on TV. They're not going to let this guy be like this on TV and cut promos like this and do stuff like this because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't fit the mold. And that's my initial thought. And it works. And he's over. And he's going to be a gigantic fucking star because they're going to actually just let him do that. And the reason why Kenny Omega doesn't work is that he's leaning into trying to be a cartoon character villain. And he has been pretty much the entire time. And I just think it doesn't work. It, it like, it's not yeah, believable. That's, that's not... That's- yeah, that's not Kenny's thing. It's never been Kenny's thing. Kenny wrestles. Kenny wrestles really good. Yeah, and like I think that's like something that like so like I've seen people talk about like this is Kenny's best match since Tanahashi at the Dome, which is true. Like this is definitely his best match since Tanahashi at the Dome. Like I'm not, I wouldn't argue, I wouldn't argue against that at all. But and I know that since Kenny's turned heel, the opinion on his work has gone down because I think like the act sucks, and I think that transfers over to his matches. Sure. But I still watch Kenny matches, and I'm like, oh, okay, like, I get it. But all this stuff was, was has still been good. Like, but up until the the shit show with the with the with the fireworks, the Omega versus Moxley match wasn't bad. No, I don't think his matches have like, been bad. I think it's his character. Like, he, like, he, I, like, I feel like people just like gloss over how many good matches the dude has been in all year. Like, right. how many of these Young Bucks tags has he been in all year that are really good? Or him and Kenta teaming together versus uh I think Mox and Archer, and how good that match is. Or his t- or him teaming with um 
with the with the Good Brothers facing all these like different high flyers and him versus Jungle and him versus Jungle Boy and him versus Phoenix and him versus Seidel and even the TNA stuff, which I don't like nearly as much, but still going out there and like working like this like gimmick match with Sammy Callahan and going out there and working Rich Swan and and moves and the Christian matches like yeah I get it, but the dude is still like his matches have been good all year. To me, at least. But I understand that he hasn't had anything to this level in a long time. And, like you said, the thing with Brian Danielson is that Brian Danielson doesn't have to do all this forced extra shit. Or doesn't choose to do all this forced extra shit. He goes up there and just wrestles. And Kenny Omega, whose best thing is to go out there and wrestle, doesn't get to just wrestle. Right. And we, and then this was a conversation since the beginning of AEW. And it almost felt like... The tag team run with Paige was the closest we got to, like, th- that conversation was over for a bit because the character side of Kenny Omega was, like, and all the stuff that was, like, why is, what the fuck is wrong with Kenny was, like, subsided by, like, just, okay, this is a really basic, easy-to-follow story. But, but, you, but you know what's weird, though, is, like, in a way, it's, like, no matter what's going on with Kenny, there was always kind of, like, dissatisfaction. So Kenny isn't pushed. Yes. Kenny isn't going for the title. It's like, oh man, is Kenny Omega still feel like a star? Then Kenny does get pushed, and then Kenny does like the kind of cool, like the kind of like typical main event heel stuff. And like, oh man, this this sucks. So it's like, which which like, <laughs> like I don't really know what like which one do you want here? Like I know it doesn't have to be like an either or thing, right? But it's like people complain when Kenny wasn't being pushed at that level, and he was going up there just having the great matches with with Pack and. uh and other and other people as AEW was getting off the ground and and all that stuff and then he does go he does go and turn heel and does the more typical main event heel stuff and it's like okay like I, I just don't know what to do with him then right yeah no it's he's had a again like from the beginning of AEW there's been this identity crisis thing with Kenny that like I, I don't know I always think about the I think it was like Halloween he came out wearing that skull mask from the anime I think it was like Homestuck or something weird whatever um, and everyone was like I mean people were fucking lampooning him being like what the fuck is this guy doing he's supposed to be a main event TV wrestler why is he doing this goofy shit right and that was when he was like a still just a baby face and it's like the whole time it's just felt like he's just he's rudderless he doesn't have focus and then the stuff that he is throwing himself into is like overindulgent in a bad way and not just like getting the the best Kenny Omega. That's why I say like the tag team stuff with Paige was the best stuff because it was mostly just about the matches. Like they were having great matches and the underlying narrative was like there was an uneasiness between the two, but it was pretty basic and easy to understand story. Like they're on shaky footing, but Kenny's trying to bring Paige back from the brink and, and reform like this relationship between everybody and like it worked it was basic it made sense and it felt more authentic because even if you don't think that there's actually beef between the two it was like this is just real kenny omega trying to deal with a relationship issue with a a friend and it's kind of having issues and like they played into the nerdy stuff about him like he doesn't drink so he's having milk and all that kind of stupid stuff it's like okay that feels authentically kenny and then you see like Kenny, like you know, like something makes sense. Like his arrogance and his ego comes back around. And that's why the and that's why the team breaks up. Right. Like that makes sense. Like that's good. And like I don't dislike any of the idea of like why he would turn heel. Like he lost to Moxley at Full Gear the first time, so it makes sense why he would like have to cheat to beat Moxley the next time. Like I get it. 
I don't even I don't even dislike Don Callis. I think that yeah, Don Callis gets a lot gets a lot of shit, but like Don Callis is great. The his promos are good. No. Him on commentary is good. I don't I don't know why Don Callis gets shit. I, I don't, no, I really don't make understand any fucking sense. And I was thinking about that too with the Don Callis stuff. I was like, damn, like I was thinking back to the network Don Callis on ECW TV, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I always thought Don Callis was great. He's a fucking phenomenal promo. He just always has been a yeah, really I, good promo. Yes, I don't understand why Don Callis like okay, like you might want Kenny doing something different. Don Callis isn't the problem here. Like it might not it might be a fit issue, but Don Callis isn't the problem. No, no, he's he's really good and Don Callis being the top heel kind of guy and leading a faction actually works pretty well. Um and I was thinking I was even thinking about if they ever go back to like a Kenny Jericho feud, which I could definitely see them doing. Like Don Callis and Jericho doing promos against each other would be actually be decent like it'd be better probably than kenny and jericho stuff because they have like real history and can both talk pretty good i'm like okay i could definitely enjoy them setting up a feud between them now with callus doing the talking for kenny like would not be too bad um but yeah so getting into i guess getting into the match now you want to you want to talk about uh Talk about the actual match. Yeah, man, crowd is just on fire. Yeah, they they pop for the they pop for the bell ringing. They pop for when they first make contact, and you have this moment of like, oh man, is this what it feels like for wrestling to be cool? Right. Like, like wow, like, wrestling feels important and cool. And um, they go they go out there in were a real aggressive mean nasty match you know what's fun so they so they load me to sleep right they load me to sleep in a way where they made me forget or they made me feel like they weren't gonna do a draw because i'm sitting there watching yes. and i'm like man the way that they're structuring it like it feels like a home stretch is coming soon yeah or that the home stretch is gonna be coming yeah the match never felt like it was that- like being worked around going long or anything like that yeah it didn't feel obvious at all like, even if you felt like going in they might go do a draw they didn't, um, um, they didn't, like, it didn't feel deliberate that they were going there. And then once you get, um, go to that, um, have a go, uh, transfer to the outside, and you have Kenny do that V-trigger on uh, from on the ramp, which is just a fucking yeah. ridiculous spot. That, that was so <laughs> cool. like, the most bashed insane thing. Like, Brian sells, like, death for, like, a good six minutes. And, like, that's when they go to the picture-in-picture. Picture. And so, like, most people aren't really paying attention but if you uh, catch like the, the international version, or um, we're paying attention by that point, Brian's is selling like he just got hit by a fucking freight train after that, and Kenny's ragdolling him, throwing him through, throwing him on the table and stuff like that. And that's when the match go hits a different gear, and you see Brian going back to his more like typical uh, fiery babyface stuff that he was doing in WWE. But it's just structured in such a way as to where none of it feels telegraphed, none of it feels forced, none of it none of it feels like super like overly laid out or contrived or um like you can see it coming. And I just enjoyed the shit out of it, man. This is the best wrestler ever versus the guy who's been like the best who been like if you don't, if you don't want to say the best, like if you want like one of the best big match wrestlers of the last um like five like five, six years. Maybe you know, maybe even more so, and 
they go out there and they and they deliver chops and chops and kicks. It's mean. One of my favorite one of my favorite spots of the whole match is Daniel Bryan does the back superplex, and um, Kenny is still like he doesn't release Kenny necessarily, so he lands and Kenny's body weight is on his arm as Bryan's arm is hitting against the hitting against the ring, and Bryan sells his arm. It's like, oh my god! Like, who else would think to do some shit like that? Who else would, would think to yeah. sell their arm on a back on a back superplex? Like, like, like stuff like that is just so so good. And seeing him, like, just get to go fucking crazy and take a top rope dragon suplex and everything about it. It felt like a felt like a breeze. I went dark for it, put my phone down, didn't want to be interrupted. Uh, it was just an amazing, amazing experience watching wrestling that. You haven't, we haven't had to have a long time since um, since the pandemic. Like the last time something felt like this was probably um, was probably like Okada versus Naito. Really, yeah. yeah, that's the last time something felt like this, and it just felt like so good to watch something that not only felt important but delivered. We got Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega in 2021, and their first time out, they had the match of the year, like. And there's still a better match in them. And I think that's a testament to both to, to how talented these guys are. And Brian Danielson is so great and got something great out of Kenny. And I'm excited for what the future holds for that pairing in the future. But, yeah, if this was their first time out, this is their first shot, this is their first swing, and they're not going to have the park like this, then when they get to go out there on a pay-per-view and really go nuts... We're going to be in for something super special. Yeah. I mean, in the moment, it, like I said, doesn't, there's never a feel. Matches like this to me, <laughs> they have this, like, really ethereal nature to them where as you're watching it, it feels like the match has been going for, like, you know, two minutes or it's been going for, like, a half hour. Like, time doesn't really exist in the context of watching the match. And like you said, putting your phone down and not paying attention to anything else really helps add to this, especially, you know, in the, the modern era right now. So it never feels like, oh, they're, you know, they're pacing themselves, they're doing this or that to, to go along. Everything just feels natural, and it's all just happening. And the minutes just kind of melt away, and time just goes by until you get to the, the time limit, and it just rings. And they didn't even... Like, Brian's fighting for the, the bell lock as the... I mean, honestly, Brian's fighting for the bell lock after the bell rang. Before the bell rang, they yeah, did Yeah, they're still fighting. Yeah, they didn't really set up anything super contrived, so it's like, oh, the moment that the bell rang, you know, they were doing X, Y, Z. Like, it, it happened afterwards. So it kind of just... The bell just comes. And that's like a really good... Again, this is like the psychological nature of just how good Brian really is. Like... It's so contrived and so cheesy when, like, you know, as the time limit hits, the person's just about to tap out, but they don't. Like, they didn't even do something that, like, you know, cheesy and over the top. It's like, they were just going at it, and then the bell rings, and then Brian continues fighting, and he was looked like, okay, he was going to get the label lock, but he never even fully got it before, you know, the super click comes out and breaks everything up. So it's like, the commentators did a good job putting it over. If this match had been gone for, like, another minute it seemed like Brian would have won, you know, but it wasn't like, oh, if the time limit, you know, if this match had gone another second, it was, it's still very much up in the air and it's still very much more believable and real. 
Um, and so, like, yeah, the, the nature of, of the match just feeling real, feeling authentic, feeling like stuff is just going from spot to spot, you know, segment to segment without, like, it, anything super contrived or choreographed or timed out or anything like that. It's just natural. Um, it's fucking amazing. So much so that, like, you look back on it and stuff makes sense in the context of, like, oh, you know, it wasn't it so great. Like you said, the crowd was so amazing as the match was starting. Wasn't it so great for them? Because they're going to go long. So they didn't even have to do anything for the first five minutes because the crowd was going so nuts that they could just stand there and stare at each other. But that's like hindsight. You look back off that and like, oh, yeah, that was that was really good. But it didn't feel in the moment like, oh, you know, they're forcing this. It was natural. It just happened. It was just like fortuitous. Like all this stuff was just like perfect. And it is why Brian is, is the greatest wrestler of all time. Like the, everything that he fucking does just is so perfect in the moment and seems so real and believable and like... They didn't do. They really did very little in this match. There's a couple big spots, but they did very little, and Kenny Omega especially did very little in the match. Um, and they still filled up like the whole time. They still, it still came across fucking epic. The crowd's going nuts. Like it was. This is just phenomenal work. <laughs> Again, like you said, it's the greatest of all time going up against like one of the best wrestlers of the modern era of the current time right now. Um, and just amazing. <laughs> it's it's so good. And Brian's selling the whole way through. I mean, it's... I almost, you know, you want to tease the fucking... The people who are, like, concerned trolling for Brian's health. I, I you know, tweeted it out. Has anyone checked if Brian's still alive? Because, he, you know, he wrestled in this dangerous AEW ring. You know, and he got buckle-bombed out, out of the ropes. And he took a dragon oh suplex off the top. Is he okay? <laughs> Is he in traction? Is he crippled? Like... You know, I mean, he's such a great fucking seller that it's, like, it's so fun to watch him, like, sell his ass off here, be completely safe the whole way through, look like a million fucking bucks. Like, this is so great. They're both brilliant wrestlers, which is, like, you know, Brian's gonna get most of the credit, but, like, Kenny Omega deserves it, too. Kenny Omega, and the way he works around the one-winged angel, will never get enough credit. Oh, no. The way he protects that moves and and the way he can fill time without using that move or hitting that move will never get credit. And... It's a departure from what he used to do. That's the thing, again, like you said, like, I think it's overlooked. When when Kenny Omega, like, you know, Golden Lovers or just Kenny Omega DDT, Kenny Omega, the, you know, the indie super worker, he would fucking hit the Kreutz Wrath and all different kinds of finishing moves all the fucking time. You know, constantly. But it worked, but it worked. And it would be annoying, but, like, Kenny has so many goddamn moves. Right. And it was like, okay, fine, whatever. Like... But he decided that the one-winged angel, this is my move, this is my thing, no one, and, and no one will kick out of this thing, I will, like, and when they kick out of this thing, it's gonna be, like, the biggest thing ever. Yes. And it shows that growth and, and change as a performer, that he, he completely switched his style up, and he came up with a move, and he protects it. And people I love, I used to love hearing all the time, people like, Oh, that V trigger looks too good, and everyone kicks out of it, and he does a thousand of them, and he spams them. And, <laughs> and it's like, okay, sure, pick out the move that looks good, and and fucking complain, but overlook completely, and don't mention the fact that he he does have a move that he completely protects that no one ever fucking kicks out of. Like, come on, like, are you really going to pick on him because he does a move that you think should be his finisher or you think looks too good when he does exactly what you're asking for on a different move? It's such b- BS. It's like, it really is just like, you know, picking the, the gnat like, shit like, out of the pepper. Like, yes, I love, 
like yes, I love the V trigger. Do I wish he won more matches with the V trigger? Sure. Sure. But the one winged angel is also still maybe the best move in wrestling. And it is also super protected. And again, it shows a a, a maturity and like an adaption to his style that he's grown. And like you said, he he came up with a move. It became his new move. He didn't just like go, oh, I'm gonna take one of my other moves and start protecting it. No, he came up with a new move. He made that his move, and he's protected it like fucking crazy. How do you? How do these people find ways to still complain? Yeah, he protects the, the well, one-wing well, angel, it, but why doesn't he protect all of his other moves just as much? Like, shut the fuck up. But but, but like not just him, Brian too. Like I don't think Brian hit the hit the um, Basaiku knee in this in this match. No. He never he had the, he never times. had the he never had the he never had the label lock like locked in for a for a, for a sustained amount of time, like. Both of these guys protected, like, their big shit a lot. Like, I absolutely think that the next time that Paige, uh, not Paige, uh, Brian and uh, Omega see each other, that Omega's probably going to hit him with the Kreutz Wrath or, or, Kreutz right. Wrath or some shit. Like, yeah, exactly. Dust off some like, old stuff. Like, uh, like, these guys did so much and still left so much on the table, which is, again, like, the testament of, like, brilliance of pro wrestlers that you can go out there and this can still be a big match of like a super important moment for the for this company brian danielson's first match kenny omega's biggest match in his company to the company to date and they have maybe the best magic company history and they still didn't do everything that they could do yeah no they still they and they and it made they made it make sense because yeah protecting all that stuff it's like okay well that's why when you have these big epic main events, why you go past 30 minutes, they go long, and then they start hitting all their big moves and kicking out of everything because that's what it takes. So in this match, you don't even get to that point where you start trading, you know, big near falls and finishes because you haven't even gotten to that point in the match yet because it's still, you know, just the 30-minute draw. I thought that that's, like, it's perfect. It protects it protects the psychology of just, like, big main events. It protects, like, again, the moves, everything. Like, ah, goddammit, it's so, it's so good. And... I do think, I think one thing to say, and I don't know if this is saying much, but this, to me, this is the first big match, the first big epic main event of, like, the post-pandemic. Like, this is, I think that this is kind of the sign of, like, wrestling is possibly going back to normal. You know what I mean? At least in America. In Japan, we'll see. But, like, I think that, like, yeah, like, we're kind of, we're done with, with the the shitty era of, you know, no crowds and all that stuff. Like, AEW is back, and this is the first, like, big epic match where the crowd is going nuts, and and I just, I feel like this is culturally, like, a relevant match in the zeitgeist of wrestling, and people are going to be talking about it. And it's a big fucking deal because it's Daniel Bryan, obviously. Yeah, this is, like, they've had great matches. They've had Pac versus Kenny. They've had... Orange Cassidy versus Pack. They've had countless Young Bucks tags that have been really good. They've had Kenny, yeah, Kenny Omega and Hangman versus versus the Bucks. They've had even like stuff like John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston or John Moxley versus Brody Lee. Like, there's been a bunch of really good matches. You can take your pick of anything involving Darby Allen, but this right now, this right now is the landmark AEW match, and this is one of the best TV matches of all time. I'm not sure it's the best TV match of all time. But it's absolutely up there. Like, something like this on TV is unheard of. Like, yeah, yeah they've ran, like, a 60-minute Iron Man, like, for Brock versus uh, Angle on TV before. This isn't nearly, this isn't nearly as good. I know most people will, will go for the two-man power trip versus Benoit and Jericho. 
that's really good. And I wouldn't say that this is like definitively, definitively, definitively better than that. But we're absolutely talking about one of the best TV matches ever. Like, <laughs> without yeah. a question. No, no, without a doubt. I mean, yeah, the, the, the next thing is what, like, everyone going crazy for that Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa match or whatever for AEW and on TV and all that. I don't know. I, this is definitely better than that. I will say that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that two-man power trip match I think is good, but I think probably a bit overrated as far as I'm concerned. I would say this is definitely I, better. Look, I agree with you. A lot of people really like that tag. Sure, like, sure. I, I, think that it's, I think that it's really, really good. Well, people love that two-man power trip versus Benoit and Jericho tag. They do. They do. And, I mean, it speaks to the era, but th- that is not why we're here. <laughs> I think that it's a really exemplary match of that era of wrestling, but I will just say that maybe, personally for me, not my favorite type of wrestling. While this yeah. speaks more to the, <laughs> a type of wrestling that I like. You know, Attitude Era fucking, like, wild brawls and, and stuff with so much around the ring. Like, there's very little around the ring stuff. And, and and what they do around the ring here, I feel like, is, like, I don't know. It just feels a lot more in the context of an actual professional wrestling match and not just, like, wild stunt show. <laughs> but whatever. Um, but, yeah, this was phenomenal. It's a hell of a way to, like, uh, make a, an impression for Daniel Bryan coming back. And really just saying, like, yeah, I'm, I'm back, and I'm still the best wrestler in the world. And I think he's ready to prove it, which is fucking nuts. Um, okay, so, so, like, so like, what do you think is after this? I think, like, Kenny, Kenny goes on Twitter and says there won't be no rematch yeah. and everything. So I guess we're going to assume that, like, they went to a draw. Brian's going to start working his way up to, 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 try to getting another shot. Like how are you expect how are you expecting that to play out? Are you excited for these Brian TV matches and everything? Oh, one hundred percent. And um, and two, does this change your mind? Should Ad, should Adam Page still be the one to beat Kenny Omega, or should we like ride out this Danielson versus Omega thing? It's I mean obviously, plans changed. Like when this all started and the ball got rolling, clearly the plans had changed. Do I, I don't think the plans changed. I think That's that the they thing. did. You know you know why? You know why I definitely think that the plans changed was Kenny dropping the the TNT the TNA title or the Impact title. That to me was the like okay, they've changed the course on this because I think that the plan was that Kenny was going to keep that title and the AAA belt until he lost the AEW title and then he could lose the other titles. I think that they were going to, you know, that was the plan. And I think that once everything got confirmed with Brian Danielson and all this stuff that's going on, that's when they were like, all right, well, we can't just have him keep, you know, the Impact title forever, so let's just drop it and uh, and move on from that to this. Because now, if you notice, he also didn't come out with the AAA title. And I don't know if he still has that or not, but I think he does. But they're not even referencing yeah he's still the triple a mega champion but that he didn't even come out with it and they're not referencing it anymore so i just feel like that part of his character disappeared and they re they're just like reconfiguring the storyline from the belt collector stuff to this so that's why i think that the plan changed and do i still personally kind of want page to be the one to beat kenny yeah in a lot of ways yes because i feel like if he doesn't we continue on this path of you know Adam Page becoming a fail failure to launch kind of guy who just never makes it over the hump into feeling like a top guy because it just never happens for him. 
On the other side, okay. um, on the other side, though, go ahead. do I think that like that that means that you just have to give him the title, even though maybe it's not the best story? Kind of no. I think that unfortunately, Paige might have to be a a, a casualty to this situation, and you go with the Daniel Bryan story. I think this is also one of those cases of like there are people, multiple people can be hot can be hot at the same time. And, like, that's a good problem to have in wrestling. And I think that multiple people being hot doesn't then kill somebody. I don't think that Hangman, that the, the plan changed. I still think that up until the last, his last appearance on Dynamite, Hangman was still being pushed really hard. And lost to Kenny because Kenny had, was, uh, was using some tricks in order to uh, beat him in the Dark Order. So... I don't think plans change in that regard. I still think that there's like still these big plans for, for Hangman, but I do think that like, you know, you gotta ride out this Kenny versus Danielson thing. You gotta ride out like, could they go sixty? Could they go fifty-eight minutes? Like you gotta like really like really test this. You know, really go out there and let them have like a match that has never really been seen before in mainstream American wrestling. If you let the if you let Danielson and Omega go out there for like forty four minutes or whatever the fuck and tear it down and Kenny Omega still wins, one I don't think that hurts Brian Danielson because I think Brian Danielson doesn't need to win his belt, and two, I think that even if he did win that belt, that like Paige could still beat Danielson. Although when I think Paige when Paige wins, I think he should beat Kenny for the belt, but. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I still I still feel like no matter what the course is for this Danielson and Omega stuff, I still think the end goal feels like Hangman versus versus Kenny. But I don't know. Like we'll we'll see. But like I think what I like about AEW the most is it really is challenging like conventional wrestling norms. That hey, here's the situation right here. Does Danielson versus does Danielson coming in really knock Paige down a rung? We'll see. I don't think so. And if it did knock him down a rung, that would suck because he's been there since day one and has organically gotten over in a way that he didn't in ROH. And he should be a guy that you build around that's still like 26, 27 years old, maybe younger. And he should he's still the future of the company. But we'll see. Like, I, I, I think I trust AEW enough at this point to think that Danielson and Punk coming in, Adam Cole coming in, doesn't knock, doesn't knock Hangman Page down a rung. All right, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I think that it's fine to have a bunch of people who are hot, like you're saying, and all that. But I just, I feel like Adam Page is unfortunately at like a weird, like he need he needs to fucking do something. He's just, he keeps again, like I said, failure to launch. He keeps feeling like he's on the precipice, and then losing. And he's, I mean, we've argued about this, I think, enough between me and you. Like he's still young. I get it. He's still very popular and very over and the crowd is into him and maybe times are just different which i think is like possibly a positive um in that people like are going to continue to like him and people don't really like hold your booking against you like they used to you know so i think that probably that it's not a thing anymore it probably there is no such thing as like the you know you're fucked and you'll never be a star again kind of thing um like it used to be because i just think that people now watch wrestling very different than they used to and they just get over it and they're just like ah, oh, whatever now he's a now he's a star because they already like him and he's already over 
So it doesn't really matter that yeah. he doesn't win the title. But, you know, just yeah, historically, uh, it used uh, to uh, matter. Go ahead. No, no, that's it. No, yeah, I think I think that's the thing. I think that that's what you think is definitely possible. That maybe the way in which we're viewing wrestling, like, oh, if you don't do it now, you're gonna hurt this person. It's like, you know, like I don't feel like doing this because I know that people like still get mad over it, but nothing changed with, with Tetsuya Naito winning the belt two years later. Right. <laughs> like nothing right. changed. Like in fact, it might have been. You could think that he, he really like I don't know like <laughs> is yeah. it really all that different? Like, like that's the thing is like. He, can I really sit there and act like it's all that much different if can if, if if Naito won it two years later? Not really. <laughs> like yeah. Like I guess would it would it have worked out better for Naito personally because he wouldn't have then been the champion going heading into the COVID era? Yeah, sure. But like in terms of how how over the match was and how big the match was and how big the match felt, nothing changes if Naito beats uh, Naito beats Okada in twenty in twenty eighteen. Like literally nothing changes and like. Right. That's a testament to how over um, Naito was, and I'm not just doing that to compare uh, Naito to uh, to Adam Page because Naito is the most over guy in New Japan for the last four four or five years now. But I think Adam Page is so well liked; people are so invested in his story that he can do this other stuff, and that whenever they, you know, for lack of a better term, flip that switch on Adam Page and decide that he's going to get a title shot. People are going to be into it. People are going to believe that Adam Page can win. And, like, that's what you want. You want people where you can put these matches together and people feel like, oh, this person has a chance of winning the belt. Right. Would you say that at any moment they could turn the page on the hangman? Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but, okay, Uh, so coming out of this, what do you want to – what do you think they do with Brian Danielson? What do they do with with Kenny? Because I think – I think you take Danielson and you actually go to the next match, MJF. I think the Danielson-MJF would actually probably be a good next feud and storyline to go with because MJF still has his doubters, but I think he's starting to turn the like the tide in people's opinions. Just listening to like Voices of Wrestling, having them talk about, like, actually, MJF is sneaky, one of the best wrestlers in the company. I think if you have Daniel Bryan and MJF have a, a fucking epic main event match or no you know semi-main event mid-card match on a pay-per-view where mjf looks like he holds his own i think that you build the credibility that like mjf is actually a good wrestler and more and more people will take him seriously and i think absolutely absolutely and i think uh for kenny i think i still want Pac. i think that we need to get like a singles Pac kenny omega match for the title still I think Malachi Black pretty, is ready to be a main you know, event you know, ch- challenger. Go ahead. You know what I thought about? I I look at this. I look at this show and Kenny versus Darby. And that was going to be time? yeah. That was also on the list. I think it's time that we get the Darby match. Like I'm, I'm sitting there looking at it and like Darby's done everything. Darby's faced Cody. Darby had a little like, mini program with Moxley. He's faced um, Team Taz and. And on all these and all the different uh, tag teams with staying all these different like mini programs, whether it was two point or FTR or whatever. I think it might be. I think it might be time for for Darby versus Kenny. Well, and they did. Obviously, this was intentional because Tony Khan is is a he's trying to book in a way that doesn't irk people. Is you've had time in between where you've elevated Darby so it doesn't come across like he lost the TNA the TNT title and that is just going to the world title picture. 
he's had enough stuff right. in between to where he's built been built back up to where it makes sense. So yeah, I think Darby. I think it's time for Darby. So uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. yeah, we'll want to want to think we're. I I, I man, like more think about it. I really I really do think it might be Kenny versus Darby coming up. Yeah. Like, and and it, I guess it depends on when Paige comes back, right? Because then the Paige comes back, then Paige theoretically has to heat back up again. Right. But like, I don't think that would take much longer than like two or three weeks to heat Paige back up again. So like, looking at where we are on the calendar, and it is like as we're recording, it's September twenty third. Going into full gear, do I expect Paige to be back? I think, and then if Paige is back, do I expect him to be the title challenger on full gear? I don't know. I don't think so. I think it might be Kenny. I think it might be time for Kenny versus Darby. Yeah, I think you do Kenny and Darby, and I think you do Paige and Cole. I think you need. Yeah, to... Paige and Cole. Paige and Cole is a good one. Paige yeah, and Cole I think. Is a good one. I think that's where you need to go with with Paige. I think he needs to, like you said, he needs to heat back up, and I think that the best way to do it would be going up against Adam Cole, who at that point will probably have a good amount of wins. Um, racked up so yeah i think that's where you go um it makes makes sense to me um but yeah following that after that we get mjf versus brian pillman we we, we, oh. we over the punk over the punk promo oh yes 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 how could i forget i'm sorry again i'm so used to just talking about you know wrestling and not uh tv <laughs> wrestling um well, I, I can listen. I, I can listen to these. Well, I could do these punk. I could do these punk pro, punk promos every week. I like yes. that he changes the changes delivery for this one. And he changed and, and like he like gave his like, hey man, I try to come out here and be a nice guy, right? And here are these assholes over here fucking with me, and I try to be cool about this stuff, but these assholes won't leave me alone. So yeah, like 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 I I loved it. It was a really fucking good promo, and it like goes back to the point we we're making when we when we when we last uh, when we last spoke that CM Punk versus Darby was great, but we all know what CM Punk is. CM yes. Punk is a feud guy. He's a series of match guy. Yeah, he is a guy that when he gets something to sink his teeth into, you see how the gears in his brain start functioning and stuff like that. Um, man, <laughs> I keep thinking about it. it's like. What if we just like? I know that the, everyone loves the Darby and Sting team, but like, what would that turn into like CM Punk and Darby versus the Bucks or something? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> that'd I mean, be, that, that 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 that'd be fun. That was the rumor, right? That Punk wanted to come back to PWG to wrestle the Young Bucks. Um, that story went around. Oh, he, he even he he even said it on um his oral session spot with uh, Renee that he he wants to do him and Brian versus the Bucks. <laughs> God damn it! That cannot. He, he, uh, he, he, he even said it himself, so it's not just us. <laughs> sure, sure. But god damn it. Oh my god. Well, okay, so I was talking, my sister and me were talking because she's like back into wrestling because CM Punk is back, obviously. Um, can't help it, you know. When your first crush, you never drop it, I guess. Um, but uh, she's talking mm-hmm. about, oh, you know, I'd like to see the Second City Saints reunite one more time, you know, at least. It'd be so cool, you know, and obviously it would be really cool. But you know, across my your, mind, your sister knows your sister knows who Second City Saints oh, yeah. are. Oh yeah, she's a huge wrestling fan. Like she was a very oh, okay. big wrestling fan. Yeah, yeah, she loved CM Punk from like ROH and stuff. Um, well, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, she just kind of got out of it a little bit for a bit there, but just come back more. I mean, never stopped paying attention. She used to go to PWG shows with me all the time and stuff too. Um, oh okay, yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think you ever mentioned that. That's why those like those, yeah, those are surprising. Me. It's it's weird. I mean, she's she's like eleven years younger than me, so it's like we didn't really grow up together. But as adults, we've like you know hung out and bonded over wrestling and stuff. And every year, I I, I think about 
like uh, Eddie Guerrero because her first her first favorite wrestler was Eddie Guerrero and like his um, anniversary of his death or his birthday is coming up and just think about then how that made like a big deal for us bonding and stuff. Um, either way, uh, big wrestling fan for sure. Um, but uh, when we were talking about that, I was like, you know what I want to see is the return of the Gold Bond Mafia. Like I want to see Chris Hero come back and team up with Punk um, in AEW. That would be fucking phenomenal. But uh, Darby, Danielson, whoever, Punk against the Bucks. That's what we want to see. But uh, but yeah, this promo kicked ass. I'm super. I'm. One thing I really liked here is he talked about like. I couldn't tell. I don't know if it was supposed to be that it was like directed toward Teams Taz or if it was directed towards like the fans, the people on the internet. But the like people are saying they want the old <laughs> Punk back. <laughs> Either way, it works. Yeah, no. But when he's saying, like, oh, you know, I hear people and they say they want the old punk back, they want the real punk or whatever, but, you know, be careful what you wish for or whatever. And I just, I was thinking about it, like, directed towards the fans because one thing I talked about early on with punk coming in is, you know, again, and it plays into what's going on with punk not going straight for Omega and Danielson going straight for Omega is, like, with punk's history of being kind of prickly and not being the kind of guy that you want doing promotional tours and all that kind of stuff, it didn't make sense to me that you would put the title on him instantly. But Danielson, I was like, yeah, of course. Danielson's great on media. Danielson doing PR tours, being on TV. Danielson's popular with a with another segment of the fan base that people don't really talk about because he was popular on Total Divas. Like, stuff like that, where it's like, oh yeah, I would definitely put the title on Danielson. So punk saying, like, be careful what you wish for. You don't want the, you know, the old me to come back. I was thinking about that prickly punk because he's been in such a good mood and he's been so happy and he's been doing press and media and he's been, in, you know, he's excited to be back in pro wrestling and he's not being a jerk and all that. It's like when he says, be careful what you wish for. You don't want the old punk to come back. I'm like, yeah, like the, the fucking rotten, <laughs> upset, grumpy punk. Like you don't want okay, that I'm, punk I'm to come rushing. back. Go ahead. So, so like even before... WWE CM Punk had a reputation yes. for, being, for being a bit of a jerk, right? Yes. So like, I don't want to entirely blame WWE here because this is who Punk was also before yeah. WWE. But do you feel like Punk gets a little too much shit when you like don't empathize with the standpoint of like really caring about what you do and then like being constantly frustrated and having to have your hand held and being pushed down despite how how over you were and all the frustrations and like how that would make somebody an irritable person maybe even maybe even more so irritable than usual and again i know that he was an asshole back in back before he signed too but do you think that there's like a little bit of like people hold like the wwe stuff against him even though like if you were in punk situation you'd probably be a a little irritable too Sure. It was just, you know what popped in my head? Kevin Steen, this is God. Take off the t-shirt. Like, yeah, he was an asshole even before (laughs) WWE. But, like, even that, as you talked about it, being, like, being irritable because you put so much effort and you work so hard. You know, Punk was skinny fat and wore the shitty trunks. He's upset. He, he He was hurt and he was bitter because he cares so much. Yes. Not because he's, like... Someone that like was trying to like milk wrestling for all of, for all it was worth. He's someone that genuinely cared and wanted to be like a wanted to be like a good pro wrestler so bad or like working WWE so bad that he put on like 
30 pounds of muscle. <laughs> right. He worked super hard. He got told, yeah, like, he got, like, one tour of Japan, and basically the note that came back was, like, that Zero One wouldn't bring him back because he wrestled in fucking basketball shorts and looked like a fucking trash bag wrestler, right? And then after that, he started, like, he invested in getting good gear, like he said, worked on his physique, all that stuff. So, yeah, I think, like, even the stupid Kevin Steen thing, it's like, he's not just being a dick because he's a dick. It's like, he's upset because he had the same thing and he had to bust his ass and he worked hard to change it to try to be the best that he could. And some people just don't have the empathy to be like, oh yeah, I was like that. I should just be nice to him. He's like, oh, what's this fucker think that he can get away with doing stuff that I couldn't get away with, right? You know, <laughs> right. like, why doesn't he have to work as hard as I had to work? That's, it's bullshit. Like, you should, you know, and, you know, fuck it. Some people just kick down. Some people, that's this how they are. They're that way. You can't help it. And that's totally it. I mean, Punk is the kind of guy who just... You know, he busts his ass, he does everything he can, he works super hard, and he just thinks that everyone should be as committed as him to doing to doing all this stuff. And the, even the, like, even the being shitty to fans in the airport thing, or not, it's like, to him, it is, I give you so much. I give so much of my life to wrestling. When is it enough? Why is that not enough? Why do you think that you're also entitled to this time? You know, and I can totally see where he's coming from. Is that like a super healthy and mature way to react? No, definitely not. But you can see where it's coming from. It's not just like, I just want to be mean. It's coming from a place of like, can I, is there any time that can be just for me? And I get it, you know? So yeah, it's like, will he ever truly go back to the old punk? I don't know. Hopefully not. But yeah, like, is it, is it a hundred percent unwarranted? No, no, there's definitely some reasoning behind it but just as you said give me these punk promos on every fucking show i don't care how often he wrestles but like all of this promo work and the stuff that's been going on with team taz he's like obviously having a great time and punk is such a, a very interesting and phenomenal wrestler in that like you can see the influence of the retro classic stuff he loves the old wwe thing but he never comes across like a caricature and, like, he's playing old-timey wrestler. He always does everything modern and feels of the moment. Even now. Even at his age now and having been gone for seven years, he still feels very contemporary. While also you can tell that there is a respect and, and homage being played to the past. Um, Speaking of, speaking of MJF. Uh, <laughs> I got, no, like, really, like, I think... I, I just want that feud so bad. I, I want yes. MJF versus Punk so goddamn bad. Like, and then eventually, obviously, I want to see Moxley uh, versus Punk. I feel like that's, like, must-happen kind of stuff that Punk versus Moxley needs to happen just for the promos. But I, I, I really just want Punk versus MJF. But, like, getting back to, getting back to the show itself, uh, MJF versus Brian Pillman Jr. Um, in the build-up, for some reason, people had an issue with Pillman Jr., getting this spot here and i know that pillman jr isn't good or great but the dude is a perfect for if we're gonna have someone build themselves back up after losing i'm pretty sure brian pillman jr is one of the better guys that you could do that that you could have like someone beat when you're building your when you're building a heel back up he's a lower level low like you know bottom of the card nerd that you can beat. He has some name value because he's Pil- because he's Pillman's son, and like that 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 does lean, like lean itself to some credibility for some people. And 
it's a win for MJF to get back. Like, I don't know why people are, like, get so offended by Pillman Jr. being on their screen. Other than the fact that, from what I remember, Pillman Jr. is kind of a shithead. Yeah. But, but like, but in, in terms of, like, the role he's asked to do, I don't know if he will get so offended over Pillman Jr. I, yeah, that just, that feels very out of touch to me in a lot of ways. Like, if anything, I could see going the other way and being, like, Pillman should have won this match because they built him up really well and they're turn- they had turned him into this like lovable baby face and they- they're referencing the stuff with his past and his history and he's fighting for the-, the honor and the memory of his dad and his family and all this that like if I could see any reason to be upset it would be that they got all that going on and then he fails right like that's very yeah that's 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 crazy to me he made perfect sense here because he got hot and he was pretty popular coming off of that dark side of the ring thing um and again the family stuff and the background and all that like to me he's perfect for this position and i think that even though i just like was kind of talking about how i could see people wanting wanting him to win here because of the context i think it's 100 percent the correct booking to have mjf go over mjf gets a big win here and you did such a good job of setting it up that it, it feels like he accomplished something still just because you're kind of like, oh, damn, he beat this guy while he was talking shit about his dead dad and he still kicked his ass. Like, OK, you know, that's a pretty big scalp in, in a weird way, even if it's just Pillman Jr. So, yeah, I think if you don't get that and you don't appreciate this, you're kind of out to lunch and just don't really understand wrestling booking. Like, that's fucking this is perfect. Yeah, like, M- like M- M- MGF just lost on pay-per-view. He, need- he needed his win back. So yeah, and this is a he big... Beat- he beat Pillman Jr. And he's going to go on and face somebody else. <laughs> this is a relatively cheap but a noticeable scalp for him to, to, to get. Which, I don't know, that might be an offensive way to refer to that, you know, because of Native Americans or whatever. Because it's fucking bullshit stereotype about them that's not even true. But whatever. Sorry. I apologize for using that term. Anyways, um... It's a it's a it's a sizable win to give to MJF in a way because it, again like I said it comes across like not only did I talk shit about your dead dad and your mom but I also kicked your ass so it just it really adds a lot of heat to MJF. Um, yeah, I'm gonna mention the match is fine. Like Pillman is still like new. Hopefully he gets better. Like maybe I don't I don't know I don't really care enough about him to sit there and like. I don't think I don't, the thing people also need to go like <laughs> yeah the mindset when it comes to wrestling is that when you sign somebody you're signing them with the intention of like being a star eventually and I don't think there's any intention of Pillman Jr. being a big star eventually unless Pillman Jr. gets dramatically better I don't think AEW is looking at Pillman Jr. like you're gonna be a star for us one day the problem with Pillman it's kind of like the it's honestly very similar to the Osprey thing the problem with Pilliam is he's bad on social media obviously um, be in a, in a way that doesn't help his character because he's actually kind of got a natural babyface charisma that I think would work really well if it wasn't for the fact that like if anyone follows him online they hate him so it just kind of ruins that but like I get what you're saying he needs to be a better wrestler but honestly he's got like really good fire and underdog babyface charisma that like they could make him into a star, but it'll never happen because, because yeah, because he's a shithead online. Yeah, like, Pill- Pillman is just like, uh, he's a weird case. Like you said, it's a, it's a very natural charisma to him, for sure. 
Um, I just I just think that people look at Pillman and like how he came up and like, oh look, nepotism. He can't. He just started wrestling and he wants to start booking him. It's like, yeah, he's Brian Pillman's son. It's gonna happen. But like, I think it's like when people talk like talk about like these pushes and like oh like someone like like. I mean, I'm not gonna make this comparison because it's like super like outside of the realm of like people's scope because they don't watch battle rap the way I do. But like <laughs> recently, there's a battle rap. Like recently, there's like a battle rapper that was like, um, people started like making these narratives like he's a plant, he's a plant, he's four seed, he's being four like almost like super wrestling, like super wrestling ass shit. Does it there say that someone's a plant and being forced on them like it's a super wrestling thing? But I'm sitting there looking at that person. I'm like, well, like. This person is being forced on you because they because they because they work on dark. This person is being right. forced because they're in like a little like two or three week mini program and they're gonna go right back to working dark. Yeah, <laughs> like, like that. Like that's what that's like that's what we're calling forcing somebody. A solid. And, and I don't think. And I don't think that's an, and I'm not sure anyone's saying that about Pillman Jr. But like that's the that's the impression I get from it. Like if this is pushing someone too hard, and I would love to see like what you think not pushing someone is. Yeah, I mean he's just in like a solid mid-card like tag team that's presented as like blue chip blue chipper possible future stars you know what i mean he's not if, like if anything griff garrett if anything griff garrett is presented better than pillman jr yeah for sure no no he has been and he's gotten more time on like bte and stuff so it's it is like yeah like you know they've they've definitely presented griff as like he's gonna be the star of the team and then Again, the the big thing that changed that was the dark side of the ring stuff about uh, his dad that got really really over was when they finally started to focus on Pillman. But before that, yeah, it felt like Griff was the was the focus of the act. So, I mean, the whole thing is very odd. And like to say like nepotism and all this, like the fucker was like scuzzing it around in MLW in like you know a fucking Heart Foundation three stable with yeah, like, Teddy like, what, Hart. Like what, like, what kind of, like, what kind of push do you think that is? Yeah, what kind of nepotism <laughs> case is that? Like, dude was not, you know, sh- sh- rocketed to the top. He was rocketed to the, you know, lower middle as fucking playing second banana to a pedophile, like, child molester. Like, or, you know, I guess that's a redundant thing to say. Registered sex offender and fucking, you know, extortionist. Like, yeah, like, I'm sorry, but he was not rocketed to the top. He was scuzzing it around in fucking Florida. And then eventually he got signed to AEW. Like, you know, whatever. I mean, it's fine. This match was, was solid. And like I said, I think MJF, if MJF got a big feud now that's like a work-based feud, again, like I said, Brian Danielson would be at least even a, just a big match would be my choice to just let him to get him to prove that he can wrestle so that people will take him more seriously. I think that's like the next step in the MJF progression, but you still got time because you still got Omega as the champion and you don't really need MJF to feud for the TNT title or anything. Um, after this was there, there wasn't any kind of promo in between really just like vignette stuff. Maybe, uh, we go in. Yeah, oh yeah, no, there was yeah. a promo. Jericho calling out top team. Um, I assume you don't really care about this. The one thing I do want to just mention, and it doesn't ha- it's not really much, is just that I think it's very funny that they call Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky Men of the Year because Ethan Page um, named his tag team with Michael Elgin Men of the Year like a long time ago, and he's just recycling really? that tag team name. 
um, which is obviously, I think it's like a reference to Drake. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just think that's very funny that he recycled a tag team name from a, a wrestler that is his trainer, but is also canceled. <laughs> I, I, I forgot that. I didn't know that. I, I, I think I forgot that Paige and Elgin even had like a, like a team. They they tagged for maybe like three matches in AIW in like the twenty tens or maybe even the the like two thousands. It was like nothing, um, but they were technically called Men of the Year, which is just it's very funny to me. To I like when people recycle stuff because you're just like, oh, you liked that name, you thought that that was very clever, so you wanted to bring it back. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um. What's 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 next? Malachi here? Black uh, versus Cody Rhodes. Versus- all right. Based on Cody's history, I assume that the reason why he wants to, uh, the reason why this feud started with Malachi Black is that he assumed that uh, him and Brandy were dating, um, just because that's how Cody starts most of his feuds. Um, but uh, yeah, what did you think of this? Surprisingly, the discourse match of the night. Yeah. Um, so. I don't know if you saw, but, like, in the Slack, I remember, like, talking, like, Brock and Evan, and they were, like, super, like, oh, Cody's going to come back and win. And I said, like, yeah, I don't think Cody's winning this match. And, like, I remember, like, we've had these conversations on here about yeah, yeah. if you just look at Cody's track record, like, he puts over people way more than people give him credit for or, like, right. even realize. Well, and especially so, when he should. Like, he almost never wins matches that he shouldn't win. Yeah, like... So like I I had no like I had no like like, like part of me was like oh Cody could win this and I think it'd be the wrong call but whatever I never was like Cody's for sure gonna win this match so everything about this slip feels like a big deal um, Malachi's Malachi's black entrance happened and he's super fucking over yeah feels like a megastar then Cody's theme hits and like. I didn't know if I was hearing it wrong, but, like, he gets booed out of the fucking building. Yep. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what's going on? Like, I don't know, I don't necessarily know why, but Malachi Black is fucking cool. Malachi Black is, 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 is the cool person in this program, so I can get why it's happening. It was like, oh, all right. And the match happens, and the match is fine. Like, it's good. there's a couple spots that are going to be, like, on the AW hate boner accounts like the uh like the catch knee to the outside that Cody um takes awful the mist um looks bad and like hits and like Cody acts all fucked up by it but like it hits Cody in like his like mouth area so like there's stuff going on like that the met like uh, but before, beyond that like there was good stuff in this match it was fun but obviously the mo- the thing people are talking most about this is Cody being booed and I don't want to spend too much time on this but we also know what Cody Cody Rhodes' view of wrestling is what was he saying the entire time before AEW started about heels and faces right they didn't really believe in it and that's something whether you, when you look at AEW that they've kind of stuck to for in, in, in a lot of ways and sometimes it lands and sometimes it doesn't and there are still clear heels and there are still clear faces. But Cody Rhodes has been like this his entire time in AEW. His entire time has always been, it depends on the opponent, depends on the feud, depends on the program. And 
you know, not so subtly, there's a heel tunnel and there's a face tunnel, and Cody never comes out of a tunnel. Right. So, like, what, like, what, like, what is that telling you? It's telling you that Cody can 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 shift depending on depending on the day. So, did they come into Arthur Ashe thinking that Malachi Black would be so much over than Cody? I don't think so. I don't. I don't think. I don't think you can tell me that they expected Cody to get booed out, booed out of the building at Arthur Ashe. I don't think anyone expected that. But I think this idea of this kind of being some reflection of Cody is definitely super misguided. When Cody has been a a, a tweener, can shift um, can shift character the entire time he's been in AEW. Right. I. I do want to talk about this a lot. No, um, I, I kind of do want to talk about it a bit, though, because I can't decide if I love it or hate it, but Cody is, we've talked about it a bunch, like when he was, you know, the shadow ace of the promotion. Cody is legitimately like one of the best workers in the world, and the reason why he's such a great worker is that I think that nobody fucking everybody thinks that they're not getting worked like everyone buys into his like that everything he says is earnest and historically if you pay attention he's constantly fucking working it's kind of like the kenny omega thing where like people got worked by kenny omega in a shoot interview because they thought like why would he ever work on a shoot interview like this is sacred shoot interviews have to be 100 percent honest you can't work a shoot interview like, Cody says things, and people just buy into it. And Cody does stuff, and they just, like, 100% believe everything that he says and does. And it's, like, so old school, the way that some of the stuff that he does, that, like, it just it feels like an insane culture clash for modern wrestling. But at the same time, it really works. But just, like, in a weird, like, social media gets upset, and you think, like... Well, this is having the opposite reaction or the opposite effect than it would if in the old school, but actually it kind of works still. So like when Cody said like tease that he was going to retire but never actually said it, like old that is so fucking old school. Are you telling me that Dusty Rhodes what didn't do the fucking Midnight Rider and Uvalde Slim and the like Loser Leaves Town, Come Back in a Mask gimmick multiple times. Dusty Rhodes didn't tease retiring multiple fucking times. Like, that shit is so fucking old school. But instead of working like it used to, where the crowd just, like, gets excited because they love you and they don't want you to retire, what happens is everybody on the internet goes like, why is he saying he's going to retire? He's not really going to retire. That's bullshit. It's fucking such, it's such a bullshit fake work that he says he's going to retire, but then he just shows back up. This guy's such a fucking asshole, you know? And then when he comes back, oh, look at this. He's getting booed out of the fucking building. Huh. It's almost like that worked. It's almost like teasing that you're going to retire and then the crowd thinking that it was a disingenuous teasing of getting retired actually got you heel heat. Going on social media and in an interview saying like, I would never turn heel because I don't want to set a bad example for the kids that watch TV. Somehow... When he comes back after saying that, he's a fucking heel getting build up, booed out of the building. It's or very ha- or odd. Having your, like, cel- or having your celebrity friend jump in. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> and, 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 attack, and attack your rival. And not, like, 
somehow turn it into not just like, oh, he's a bad heel who's attacking a woman, but actually that like somehow your celebrity friend who is a woman, you like took advantage of it to get a sneak attack on him. Again, this stuff is like super old school where like, oh, the bad, ooh, the big spooky bad guy heel would attack a woman and physically assault her. Like that would be the old school heat. But instead you get this new school heat where he doesn't ever even hit her. And then she jumps him from behind and then Cody uses that to his advantage to get a sneak attack. Like again, this stuff all comes across earnest and it works really well. And then people see it as like a meta narrative that like, oh, this is all fake so it makes me dislike Cody, but then he gets the heat as a heel still. This guy's a, I mean, I hate to fucking say this, but Cody's a genius worker in the sense of like work, like psychologically working while also coming across like he's just being straight up like old school wrestling. Oh, you know, I'm just doing the, the old thing. I'm not like, I'm not working the, you know, the smarks on the internet, but he is. Cody works social media while pretending like he's not involved in social media and then gets the most heat on the fucking show. This guy is like just one of the most politically savvy, psychologically savvy wrestlers of all time. Like he is, again, he's Dusty Rhodes' son and he trained under the learning tree of Triple H and Randy Orton. This guy fucking gets politics and he understands how to work in a way that's like, now it's getting to a point where it's like stealth work, where it's like underneath the level. Like... Malachi Black comes out of this as like the top one of the top baby faces in the company and that's why I said I want to see Malachi Black feuding with Kenny Omega coming out of this I want to see heel champion Kenny Omega facing baby face Malachi Black because Kenny Cody somehow well, well, at, the, at the same time at the same time I feel like I, was, I, I feel like that's still not the intention obviously but again like that's the beauty of like what Cody offers is that like Cody can do this and now Malachi Black feels like a babyface. Malachi Black can go out there and do like some more like heinous heel shit, and like oh he he gets he gets a, he gets heat again. Right. Like it like it's it it works. It like it can it can shit it can shift. And I think that yeah yeah man, just seeing like the discourse on Cody like this match wasn't that good. Like I'm fine with admitting that. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, really yeah. care about that. Fine. But like but like in terms of like what this does for Malachi Black. Malachi Black was in the second most heated match on the show, and it's gonna be like a memorable and talked about. And then whatever the next thing Malachi Black does is gonna be really, really big and important. Whether that's continuing a feud with Cody, whether they have like a like a, a grudge match, a gimmick match ending, whether Malachi Black moves on, what whatever happens, you're still really interested to see whatever Malachi Black's next move is, which is the goal of having someone like Cody in there with somebody right yeah you debut this guy you want to have him hit the ground running and fucking be a star and i think that you've pretty much you know executed that goal very quickly with two matches basically you've made this guy a major player in the company um the other thing is the arn anderson stuff there's talk of this i watched it and i think that i think that unfortunately while you know this is the double-edged sword Cody Rhodes, phenomenal. The psychology that he does with working, like working in a subtle way where he tricks people into thinking that he's not working while he's working. It's like, it's work shoot, but he's like the new level of work shoot where it's not, it doesn't feel passe and bullshit. But I feel like the Arn Anderson thing was overthinking it. And that's the other side of this kind of thing is I think that Arn was supposed to fall both times. I think because if you watch it, the first fall seemed over the top 
and it got caught by the camera and it didn't make sense that the camera was even on that because normally in a situation like that the camera would be watching the wrestlers in the ring but the camera was on a wide enough shot to see Arn going around on the apron trying to sneak around the turn or you know around the corner and then Arn seemed like his footing was fine and then he just falls down like he had gotten around it didn't seem like he actually slipped so I think that that was all like oh, we'll do this so that it looks like it was an accident, but then you come back and it'll just be like a, a mix, like a mix up because then in the end, Cody also like kind of accidentally hits the ref. I think that they were just trying to add to the chaos of the finish all around. And I think that they just took it a little bit too far and it became like, it just came across a little bit awkward. Did you even hear or notice the stuff with Arn Anderson? I saw it and then I was like, I mean, like, okay, all right. <laughs> this is a little weird. Like, yeah, like, but, that's, but, that's, but that's all. That's all my thought was. Right. I just I saw it, and then I heard people be like, "I think he actually fell," and because then he came back, and then they did the spot, and I was like, "I think it was all intentional." Um. Either way, that's it. Like you said, don't want to talk about this too much. I had to get into it because I think Cody Rhodes think, is a I super think, worker. I think Arn. He might be older, but I, I think Arn Anderson knows how to yes. go around a wrestle. You know move around a wrestling ring. <laughs> I think Arn Anderson wouldn't, for some reason, feel the need to walk on the ring apron like that. Unless yeah, it was intentional. I don't think Arn Anderson would feel, would, would feel the need to, like, purposely put himself in a weird position on the ring post. Yeah. <laughs> like that. He would have just gone around, not gotten up on the apron, you know, dropped down and walked over to where he needed to be. Like, it seemed very intentional to me. Um, either way, follow that up. We've got Darby Allen and Sting versus FTR. I thought solid match. Um, Sting looks like a million bucks. Darby looks phenomenal. The fucking the finish was crazy. Like the match had some cool spots, so good, and everything was great. But they did a super amazing job peaking with the um, with the finish because the coffin drop onto the apron was the the coolest thing that happened in the match and even though sting gets the submission in the middle of the ring you come out of the match with the focus and the biggest spot and the biggest memory feeling like it was on darby so i thought that that was ex- executed super well what did you think of this it was re- it was really fun darby and sting are three for three in these uh in these tag matches and i, I love sting man like i'm not sure if i really talked about it but I, I, lo- I love sting i love you know like 87 through like 94 95 sting like i really i really do i I love i love the dude you know obviously his work takes a decline as he adopts the crow gimmick but like he's still one of the coolest characters in wrestling history like i I love sting i feel like he's a guy that like when observer discourse would pop would come around every year people would highlight like what sting wasn't and like even if that stuff was all true people would like then just not talk about how good sting was for what he what for what he was and like yeah, he wasn't the star that, like, um, NWA and JCP needed at that point in time. And, yeah, when once Hogan came in, it was pretty much a, it was pretty much a wrap as far as him being a top-of-the-line push guy. But, like, Sting was oh, Sting was a really good worker for, for a while. He turned into one of the best characters of wrestling I'd ever seen. And he became a, funda- a foundational figure in, in uh, an impact and not someone that, like, politic like crazy the way the other names did when they when they came in or anything like that like i have nothing i have no bad things to say about sting 
and I'm glad that he's like been able to come back and have these like really fun tags with with Darby. But yeah, I just think about how every year when Observer Discourse came around, it was just always like super negative about Sting. And uh, I'm not saying I think Sting is like a WN all WON Hall of Famer. I don't think that. But just every year was like, oh come on, like Sting is good. I don't know why every year we have to act like Sting sucks. I I mean honestly, I think that Sting should be in the Hall of Fame. Like I think that he deserves his spot in the in the in the Observer Hall of Fame because if you look at it from the concept or like the conversation of like star power, like he's a huge fucking star. I mean, maybe that people can argue about the draw not being there and that's fine, but I think for recognizability and for like like iconic, like you said, like the TNA stuff and everything else, like being a difference maker on TV. He's, like, one of the first, like, TV wrestling stars, I think. Like, national television stars who, like, the, their Observer case can be based on that. I mean, he's recognizable. He's thought of as a big deal in the concept of wrestling. You know, I'm not saying every fucking wrestler from the Attitude Era who was popular should be in the Hall of Fame. But I think that Sting transcends that level of star power to where he deserves his Hall of Fame spot. Um, Yeah, there was something that had popped in my head about this match and i forgot it so whatever we can move on um something has been brought to my attention uh-huh. that uh chris jericho is in a band called quarantine that does kiss covers okay i don't just want to just want to put just want to put that, put a, that information out there you can do with it you can do with that as you will i'm a huge fan of this news um <laughs> what? Isn't he already in a band? What is this? Yeah, but like, but he, but he gets to do Kiss covers now because Kiss is the greatest band of all time, and not just a myth that people yeah. bought into because Kiss pretended that they were the best band of all sure, time. Sure, sure. Kiss all time workers as well. They deserve recognition, like Cody. Oh my God, um, Kiss is like yeah. Kiss are they're fu- they're fucking pro wrestlers, man. That yeah. is some pro wrestling ass shit. Because I've never heard anyone talk about a Kiss album ever in my life yet somehow right. they are like synonymous with rock and roll more than like fucking acdc is right and i mean fucking fozzy started out as a cover band why does he need to start a new cover band this guy is a, whatever whatever <laughs> i also i like that they're called quarantine i love someone i can't remember who it was it was some podcast but they were like trying to imply that they thought that jericho was just just does the Trump stuff and the Q stuff to like appease his wife to keep her happy, and I'm like, you do not remember that Chris Jericho is like a coast to coast AM head. He's a fucking long time conspiracy theory theory psychopath, and he is like literally one of the only wrestlers in the world who still talks positively, openly in public about Chris Benoit. Do you really believe that this guy doesn't love Trump? And is not a crazy fucking Q psycho. Like, come on. But yeah. Um, either way. Oh, fuck Chris Jericho. He should me? be in the Observer Hall of Fame too, though. I can hear you. Um, Alright. Main event. Can you hear me? Yeah. like it was, okay. it, that, that was just weird. It like showed like two different calls for some reason. Yes, that then, was Chris like, Jericho breaking so, into like, the right, call. We're good. We're, we're... <laughs> that was Chris yeah, Jericho um, breaking into the call you're... to stop us because of the gay frogs or something. I don't know. Um. Anyways, main event. 
AEW Women's Championship, Ruby Riot versus Britt Baker. This, I talked earlier about my issues with TV wrestling. This was the match that to me, not just for, for me watching it at home, that I think that is the reason why TV wrestling sucks, but you could tell even with the crowd. When this match opened up, the crowd was with it. The crowd was hype. The crowd was going fucking crazy. They were into the match. The the Then when they went to the commercial break, even with the picture-in-picture, picture, you could tell that they just weren't... They really... It really fucked with the flow of the match because they really, you know, basically started doing rest spots, weren't working hard, they weren't into the, like, story. And then when they came back, it took forever to get the crowd back into it. The crowd was, like, respectful hot, and they were, like, you know, they were popping here and there, but they didn't seem... The, their reactions didn't seem super invested. When they opened up, the crowd was fucking molten hot and ready for this match. And this is why I say, like... Wrestling is not meant to be on TV. Wrestling was much better in like the 20s and 30s. And you just went to, you know, you went to the show and you just watched it live and the crowd went nuts. And ever since they invented television, it's ruined professional wrestling. Um, Quentin, what did you think of the match? Um, this is one of the rare times I'll come on there and actually criticize AEW for how they um, work with their women. I thought everything about this was stupid. I think that everything about this was stupid. And, like, I get your criticisms of, the, like, the TV aspect and how, like, that, like, killed it, killed any investment in it. But for how over Britt Baker is right now, they didn't need to do this. Britt Baker kind of occupies that same kind of Cody space where she's a tweener. She's so over. She can do whatever she wants. She can do whatever. She can be, like, working heel with Chris Statlander, and she can be more leaning babyface towards Nyla Rose because she's built up that equity with the with the audience. Um, I don't think that for the main event of this show that Britt Baker should have been cheating to beat Ruby Soho. And I get it. Ruby lost Dirty in her first shot at the title and it protects her. Like, but you could have protected her without making without doing that to without doing that with Britt. Britt is such a big star that that was bullshit. That was bullshit. They didn't need to do that. Britt could have just beat her. You could have had Ruby work her way back up. Like that would that would that would have been fine. And I get they're still kind of scarce in the division, and you like I would I think you could have, you could have worked something out. But I think that doing this kind of finish when they left that bullshit at home for they left that shit at home for Kenny. They left it. They left it at home for Kenny. They left Don Callis. They left the Good Brothers. They left the Young Bucks at home when it came to Kenny. To do that for Britt Baker and Britt Baker being one of the most over acts on the show for this moment, for this spot, for the women being slotted in the main event and to have that happen, that was bullshit. They shouldn't, that was completely nonsensical. It didn't have to happen. You could have just let them go out there and wrestle and Britt could have got a banana peel win. Britt could have got a banana peel win. That would have been fine. Britt could have like did a roll, did a roll up, something with the referee, whatever. But like, Winning with interference in this spot, having women in your main event for your biggest dynamite ever, and stuff—that that, that was ridiculous. Yeah, I think I'm I'm pretty solidly with you in a lot of ways there. I think the Kenny thing—I mean, it was part of the storyline, but again, like you book this shit, like that's the point of pro wrestling, right? So you can't like I can't like pretend like. Well, the Kenny, like, the reason why no one got involved in the Kenny's match is because that was part of the storyline, you know? And, like, 
and then and so that means like the main event doesn't have the same storyline it's like oh okay but they make up the storyline in both matches so they could have done it <laughs> in both matches yes of course um but uh but yeah so like I, the kenny thing i get it like it made sense because they built to it even if it was slightly and kind of felt like tacked on um even though it was kind of the impetus for the match happening it did feel a little bit like just oh randomly you know we're go- going to other ash next week uh wrestle me without your goons yes because i'm the best bout machine um anyways but that said i agree with you because at this point brit was in the big thunder rosa lights out not the main event main event match that was you know no disqualification but relatively clean they just they used weapons and and outside inter outside gimmicks but no interference and stuff like that and to protect the the women's division and to protect brit as that kind of person if you're going to then have her main event again you should have like you said kept it relatively clean um this kind of goes back to an argument that you know i made or a statement that i made there wasn't much of an argument because i got no pushback um in that I don't even necessarily know that you had to do a, a banana peel win. I think that you probably, if you really need to keep Brit as a heel, because it seems like that was the point of the interference, is they're trying to keep Brit heel, is that rather than doing that, you could have just had Ruby win. And that could have been how you oh, kept. Uh, yeah, yeah, Brit okay, heel. but I agree. I think that, like, we talked about, we talked about that, and, like, I don't know, like, Ruby could win and then just lose it back yeah. in two months. That, like, 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 that, like, that's, like, that's fine. Like, I'm saying, like, if we're gonna, if we, if we wanted Brit to win so bad, then Brit should have just won. Right. No, exactly. Because I think that, as, like, my point of, like, why I said and thought Ruby should just win is because they don't want Brit to be a babyface, and she shouldn't have won this match with outside interference. So, your choices were... Let Britt turn babyface because people want her to be babyface and just have this match finish clean. And actually, you could have ended the match with like a you know sign of respect handshake, and then that would make sense for why Ruby would move on because she would get bested clean by Britt, and she would say, "Okay, you're the champion, and I can't beat you." So now I move on to something else. You know what I mean? Now, basically, where you're at now is it feels like, well, why would Ruby move on? But also, she should, because I don't think that we should go back to them, like, another match between them, right? But, yeah, like, but now, she has now, a right. Like, what, like, what? Go ahead. She does, but then, if, but, then, but, then, but then it just feels like, who cares? It's where if, if Ruby won and caught Britt by surprise, and it's this big, cool moment to end the biggest dynamite, and then Ace, and then, and then, and then, and then Britt is like, okay, you know, I've been carrying this division for a year now. I want my title shot. I don't want to play these games. I don't feel like I should have to wait. I want my title shot. It would work. Right. Yeah. No. That's, um... Yeah, so... The match was fine. The match, match was fine. And there were good... There was good stuff in it. But, um... One, like... Ruby's good. Um... And Brit's gotten better. But, again, like, the main thing that I've said before... Talked about it with Chris Statlander. Same thing applies to Ruby here. While Ruby has good matches with other women, a lot of Ruby's best matches came against guys. Yes. And Britt Baker is still a work in progress. Yes. So like, I'm not expecting. I'm not, like Ruby. Ruby can like, she's a help. She help. She she is definitely a help to the division. But I know I don't expect her to be like this kind of like savior for it or saving grace for it, because like, 
the like the people that sit there that will sit there and like boost the division up completely are like fucking like Asuka. Like Asuka's a floor raiser. Right. Like Asuka came into WWE and then as soon as she came in, it was like, Oh shit, this is what it's like to have consistently good women's wrestling on the, on TV. Like well, like 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 that's different. Ruby isn't Asuka. Well, okay, to be fair to Ruby, because as I said, if she came in and she was at the same level of worker that she was before she went to WWE, like exactly the same, she'd be in the conversation as like one of the top wrestlers in the company. That was obviously before, you know, Brian Danielson and CM, I mean, CM Punk kind of, whatever. Either way, but the thing about it is that like Asuka, the reason why Asuka is a floor raiser, hits the ground running, is exactly the same thing that you're saying there. You know, Ruby, Stat, Chris, all that. They're wrestling men on the indies. And then when they come to here, they can't. They're not wrestling men. They're in a women's division. Um, Asuka wrestled women. Like, in Joshi, they don't have intergender wrestling in Japan as much. So uh, all the women in Japan, most of the top Joshis, are more commonly having their best matches and all of their matches primarily. There is some intergender, but it's very rare, um, with other women. So... It is kind of it, it in a weird way it plays into the same conversation that we've had about like uh or that I've had you know the statement that I've made about like people of color as stars is that you have a flawed system that AEW is drawing from to create their stars and their talent from which is that there isn't a ton of top level indie female workers in America that work most of their matches against women you know outside of WWE because there's so much intergender wrestling that's happened on the indies, and I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these people who, you know, argues against intergender wrestling and doesn't think that it should happen. I think that it should. If, 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 any, if anything, this is this is arguing in favor of intergender wrestling. Yeah, but the but the problem is, is that when you get, it's like the NXT thing now, where NXT needs to shift to actually building stars for the main roster. When you get most of your reps in on the indies working with men, and then now you have to go to the big times on TV and you can only, you're only going to wrestle with women because they won't allow intergender on television. You're set up to fail. And that's like the, that's the issue with, with intergender wrestling on the Indies is if the idea is that you work on the Indies to set up, to go on to the big companies on TV, well, you shouldn't be working nothing but men on the Indies and then go to the main roster. And now you have to work women because you're not prepared for that, for that outcome. And yeah, like the argument is like, okay just let intergender wrestling happen on american tv well i wish that they would i i honestly really do but it doesn't seem like that's going to be happening anytime soon so you're kind of in a really fucked up catch-22 situation where yeah like ruby is a phenomenal wrestler but a bunch of her really great matches were against men and i'm Britt baker is not as good as even like isaiah's velasquez i know that sounds crazy but she's just not that good um she's just not at that level so maybe someday she'll get there Yeah, um, it's 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 because I want Ruby to succeed. I, I want I want I want Ruby to do well, but this um, it, it, it's it's still it's still gonna take some time. I think that this was one of the rare situations where I feel like AEW was completely wrong in how they handled this, and I feel like they handled this in like a, a super stupid way, and that Britt should have just won if that was gonna be the, if they want her to win so bad or. Ruby should have won, and there should have been none of this. But this is a miscalculation by them. I feel like it put a damper on the women being put on last for um, 
this dynamite. Even if even if the reason why they did that is to make sure that like most of Danielson versus Omega could air without commercials and stuff like that. Like even if that's the case, like this still should have felt like a, a moment for the women, and it just it just didn't. And I feel like a lot of that is due to not just the match being like not great, but how they decided to end it. Like I feel like that ruins any kind of like goodwill that you would have gotten for this moment. Yeah. No. Definitely. And like I, like I was saying earlier, you should have protected the idea that, that Britt Baker can be a main eventer by letting her have a a clean big main event, you know, match. But uh, that said, I mean, coming out of it, AEW still feels hype. It's a bummer that the main event felt like it missed, but the, the spoilers and the stuff that came out from Rampage that was, I think, taped right afterwards sounds like Rampage is going to kick ass. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a positive. So we'll see. And it's a special two hour rampage. So it's like going to be just equally yeah. the same as dynamite here. Um, Quentin, do you want, yeah, oh, um, do you want to get into G1? I feel like we've already, we've gone a bit long, but if you want to talk some G1 thoughts, feel free. I mean, not really like these matches, like these matches are going like so fucking long and it just like feels like a, like such a, like yeah. such a drag, like, like, Zack and Naito and both Ishii and Shingo both going twenty seven minutes. And it's like it's they're good matches, but like they're going long. Like I like I like the Okada versus Tanahashi. Like that's still I think my favorite match of the G one that I've seen so far. I haven't seen Ishii versus Ibushi and Shingo versus Zack yet. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna watch I'm gonna watch those as um when I get when I get off. But but yeah, like on top of Naito being out, which we didn't really talk about because. As much as that does affect things, it's like, who really cares right now? Right. But New Japan still is, like, in this weird stage. But, like, yeah, it's it's, it's a it's a real drag with the, these match lists. And I get it, because they only have five matches on the show. And they feel like in order to give their money's worth, right. they're doing that. I understand. But it, it really does, it really is affecting. Like... It, it, it's it's tough. Yeah, I mean, you even... They're having, you know, the Yano matches even go, like, over ten minutes. Um, because of... Because of that same... Because of that situation. Um, but that said, I mean, one thing that does stand out... Um, and we kind of talked about it earlier. But because they're giving them time... Is that Zach has had two kick-ass matches. Um, so we talked about, like, Zach not really getting a chance to, to show off, but... So far, if he if this trend continues, it definitely is a standout that they're like, all right, Saber can go out there and, and wrestle for like a half hour, and uh, and have really good matches. So hopefully he continues that with everyone. But it does like stick out like a sore thumb when you're seeing like, you know, over fifteen minute long Kenta versus Yujiro matches, and like I said, like the Yano matches are all going over ten minutes. And you know what I mean? It's just it's very it's very striking that uh, that. That they're definitely making this stuff go a little bit longer than it needs to on the undercard matches, but someone like Zach is going to stand out because he's having longer matches. You said you didn't see the Kota versus Ishii match. I was going to ask you about that because I heard someone try to say that, I guess based only on the Yujiro match, that it seemed like Kota wasn't, you know, back to the old Kota, but you need to see the Ishii match to compare that to really say. Because I saw the Ishii match just like before we started recording, and I was kind of like, I don't know where the fuck people are coming from because I that the the Ishii Kota match really felt like I didn't feel like Kota is like a hundred like crazy out of his league or not the old Kota Ibushi or something but you know 
I need you. To, you have to see that. Next yeah, time and up. like, and, yeah, and like, I'm the Tanahashi match from the, from that from the MetLife show was was really good. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, it, like, I, I, like it's fucking Yujiro. So right. like, I don't. Oh, that, that's weird. But like, I mean, but even if Kota Ibushi isn't 100 percent back, like he it sounds like he had COVID and it must have affected him pretty badly. No, he had like pneumonia or something else. Yeah, he had pneumonia. Oh, he had pneumonia. N- double pneumonia, both lungs. Yeah, like, like really. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. The report like, was yeah, like, like so on yeah, coming back and wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, coming back, coming back from that, which, by the way, he probably shouldn't be wrestling, and that's probably why. No. He's gonna keep his. He, that's, he's probably gonna keep his matches a little bit shorter. That's like, like I imagine that's gonna be the <laughs> thing. But yeah, like Ibushi's such a physical freak that like even if he works the shorter matches, like it'll be fine. But like, I do feel like Ibushi probably, like. He probably shouldn't be wrestling, right? No. No. I mean, he definitely shouldn't be jumping into the G1. Because I was actually thinking about that. I was like, do you think that part of the reason why they're doing this weird Osprey isn't going back to Japan storyline is just because he's not 100% ready to just show up and do G1? Like, at the level that he would want to? Because, like, probably he would have just been in the G1, right? Like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. So it is, like, interesting to then be like, well, Coda can just do it, though. Like, that doesn't really make sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. But so far, I mean, major stands out to me, Great O'Con and, and Jeff Cobb. I mean, we're three nights in, but they're both looking really fucking good. So I'm just kind of like, okay, like, you know, these guys, I could, I would definitely even be interested in seeing them both making it to the finals, but... Like, either way, they can make it to the, the finals for their blocks or whatever. Like, yeah, I'm kind of uh, kind of into them. They're both looking really good. Do we think that Zach makes the finals now? I mean, especially because it seems like they're going to lean on him to fill out the, the matches. Like, you know, delivering the long match lengths that are, like, solid. I would not be shocked that Zach doesn't end up being, like, making it all yeah, the way to the if finals. I'm at the, if I'm looking at the block, I'm looking at the A block. Yano, Okan, Kenta, Yujiro, Ishii, Abushi, uh, and Shingo, and Zack. If I'm looking at that, I guess it'd be between uh, like Ishii and Zack, but like I can't see them doing Ibushi in an, in another G1 final, like a like the, a third a third one in a row, like. I think we're I think we're probably going to get Zack in the final, right? Well, I mean, I could see Okan um especially like maybe even more than I see Cobb cuz like I said I could see both of them, but I could see Okan going, but but that I wouldn't necessarily write Zack out. Like Ishii's not going to do it. Naito's injured. Kento and Yano, no, definitely not. Tongalo, so yeah, I mean, the conversation is like, Abushi, and then you're doing three in a row, like you said. Shingo, but he's the champion, so that would be kind of weird. Um, yeah, but, but, and then but, but then if there's, if, there's ever a t- if there's ever a time as to where Shingo could be in the fi- G1 final, it'd be this year. Sure. So yeah. So like, I th- like, like, I think, like, I think, like, I think you could do a Shingo versus Okada G1 final, and Okada beats Shingo and gets his win back from, uh, or get or gets both of his win backs because Shingo's beaten him twice this year. Yeah, and then set up for uh, Tokyo Dome as like a a weird rubber match, but 
also kind of not. Which I, what what I think I think Shingo's gonna go into Wrestle Kingdom as still champ. I, I would hope that so. They're gonna. They, I think they're going to do something, whether it's Shingo versus Will or Okada versus Shingo the first night. Like, Shingo is still going to go into the, go into, especially now, Shingo is going to go into the Dome as champ, I'm pretty well, sure. Well, what if they do another, like, double dash with um, Osprey's championship and Shingo's championship? I think I think that's probably going to happen. Yeah. And then at this point, it's going to be who, who's the fourth guy in... It could be a it could be Ibushi. Jay White could be back. Who knows? Right. But um. But yeah, like I I I feel like this ultimately ends with Okada versus Osprey being the main event of Night Two of the Dome. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, that would make perfect sense. You do Okada versus Shingo for the you know the shoot championship off of maybe even off of like Okada winning the G One and beating Shingo in the finals, and then yeah, the other side. Oh, I- Oh, I, I, th- I, th- I think that the first night is should be Shingo versus Will as the main event. I think the first night should be Shingo versus Will as the main event, mm-hmm. and then I think that Okada should face the winner. The oh, night, well, so, I was saying you would, would probably be Osprey. I was thinking you unify the the titles on the second night, so you do okay, right, Shingo right. versus Osprey on or Shingo versus Okada on night one, and Okada wins. And, and then like Osprey and then he versus takes like IWGP title into night two, where probably faces Will, and they unify the belts on the second, yeah, on on night one and for the other title. But I don't think that you can change the like fake title, so that's why I think you have to have the main event on the second night have Osprey in it. As much as I would rather not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but this it's just, it's real real weird now. Not that I think Nyza would have won the G one anyway. I still feel like a probably not. No. This feels like an this this feels like an Okada year, like <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> but, but but we've been saying that for like so many years since. And it's funny that like no one talks about how Okada what hasn't won a G one <laughs> since twenty fourteen. Right. Like, it's it's funny. Like of course he, of course he's gonna win one one of these days, but it's funny like no one talks about like yeah this dude hasn't won a G one in seven years. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that this would be it. I think that Okada should win it, and I do think. I do like the idea of the final being with Shingo. Um, but like I said, I think... God, you look at it in the B block, it's like... Even with like the fact that the A block lost Naito, like you look at the B block, and there's like nobody else who can win the block, win it. Nobody else can win the it B ha- block It has to be Okada. Okada. Like, there, yeah. there, no, one else can, no one else can win this block. Yeah. You cannot heat Sonata up and he can win this block. It has to be Okada. Yeah, Okada has to win the B block. But even with Naito gone, I do think that there's a there's like at least three people who I think could win the A block. Honestly, I could see four. Okan might be crazy, but I think less crazy than Zack. So, yeah, but Shingo winning the A block maybe not may not be the most insane thing you've ever said. Um I think All right, Quentin. I'm, anything I'm else before it, we like, uh, say goodnight? I'm looking at it and oh, it's like Oh, I think yeah, I think we're like having some audio issues here, so like we might be a little out of sync. Yeah, yeah. But um looking at it, Evil is still in the Evil still in the B block. And if I'm and if I'm to believe the uh the Evil stuff, about you know, <laughs> Dick Tuttle yeah, getting yeah. more power and like trying to like really push this house house of torture thing. 
<laughs> don't rule out evil. Fuck. In the G in the G one finals, but 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 I'm still gonna go Okada. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still gonna go Okada. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, the evil thing. God damn it. Uh, he better not win. He better not win. Could you imagine they try to do Fucking evil versus Shingo as the main event of the Tokyo Dome? I, I like to think they have enough sense to not push evil that strongly. But I don't know. Like I, I would like to think they're, they have enough sense not to do that. Yeah. Uh, well, Quentin, we've had audio issues. We've had hardware issues. We've had literal physical body breaking down issues. But we made it through, and I think it's probably time that we uh, hit the old dusty road. Unless you have any final things that you want to say to anybody before we go. Uh, no. Um, we'll be back next week. Thank you all for listening. Hope you're here next time. And, uh,. Say a prayer for AOC. Um, you know she wants to wants to attack wants to tax the rich so bad, but then passes on her on her chance to not fund Israel's uh, death machines, and uh, it's a really emotional time for her. So uh, keep keep AOC in your prayers, guys. Uh, thank you all for listening. I hope you're here next time. So different